Man, this Super Mario Brothers poster looks like Super Mario Brothers. We about ready? All right, let's hit it. Welcome to episode 18 of Podcast X. My name is Ben Kendrick, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hello, everyone. I'm drinking a Holsten, which is a nice German beer, 5% premium golden, uh, what is it, Pilsner or something? I don't know. It's pretty good. How are you guys doing? And special guest, Kofi Outlaw. What up? Happy October, everybody. What are you drinking, Kofi? Um, right now I'm just drinking kind of a, uh, tequila gimlet. Uh, I had to keep it light. I'm just, I had to drink some coffee because I got a lot to do. I'm hitting the road tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kofi's got a Kofi. We snuck this one in before Kofi took off on a road trip. So, um, all right, well, let's just get underway today. We're going to talk about the black Panther Wakanda forever trailer, and then kind of run through a few things that we've all been, uh, been checking out. So, We'll, I'll just kick it over to Rob Keys. He's going to talk us through this uh, Black Panther trailer. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we already had a teaser trailer. I think this is like the first full trailer, and there'll probably be a second one before this. Yeah, teaser was Comic-Con, uh, then this is the full one. Yeah, yeah um, and it lives up to its name uh, because it, you know, while there were <laughs> straight-up teases in the first one, and we had a good discussion here on Podcast X about how we think they're going to handle the Black Panther mantle and who's going to wear the costume. And this one sort of like straight up shows you it seems like shuri um against our, our speculation might be the black panther or it's a misdirect and there are multiple we'll talk about that in a second but we get a lot more of other really interesting shots we get a deep dive into namor including a full reveal of him as an idol with the wick famous infamous and seemingly <laughs> wing feet on paper you know feathered flying feet wings which support him flying uh and they they went for it um, and, and Ryan Coogler spoke to Entertainment Weekly explaining that, hey, you have to have fun with it. And I think um, for a trailer and film that's like so thematically like, you know, emotional and they're embodying a lot of real world elements in a lot of ways, like them finding the balance and the MCU really earning the ability to do things like this and, and bring these panels from the comics into live action in such an earnest way, coupled with the craftsmanship of like Ryan Coogler just shows you they can do things like this. I mean, the fact that we're having Namor and a version of Atlantis or uh, what's it called in this film? Ta- uh, Talokan versus like Wakanda and these, these, these worlds that the three of us speculated and hyped about and buzzed about 15 years ago. Like we're so deep into it now. It's actually happening. And this is like, this trailer is the biggest embodiment of like how far the MCU has come. Um, so we get, uh, yeah, a, a bigger exploration of Namor. We also get to see uh, like a straight up showcase even though it's very minimal clips of Ironheart in costume, in the helmet, the visor cam that Kofi talked about in one of the previous podcasts, um, and a little tease of her relationship with Shuri potentially. Uh, and there's some a really cool scene, which is like uh, you get to see uh, Ramon Duck face off with Namor. There's a lot of cool, big, powerful things in this um, and some potential misdirects, but certainly a lot of like exploration of like what – like how big this conflict can be um, and, and them not holding back and all the characters involved. So – uh, we can dive into like the details and their expectations 
and how they've changed since the first teaser. But uh, I'm curious now that you guys seen the first full trailer to the uh, Black Panther sequel. Um, how's it shaping up, especially given you know the, the <laughs> recent slew of Phase Four releases, which I've earned you know mixed reactions at best. I'll let uh, I'll let Kofi start out. Um, Ryan Coogler is from Oakland, California. And, uh, if you know anything about California culture, I don't, I don't think people, I think there's going to be a level of this movie that people don't get about, uh, you know, black on black and brown gang, gang relations in, in, you know, California. But, uh, we're definitely going to see it play out over the course of this movie. Uh, some of you won't get that, but that's okay. You guys can still see a pretty good Marvel (laughs) movie, but, um, on the surface of things, uh, I think so far this looks like a very visually stunning movie. Uh, very, I mean, the shots are just really, really beautiful and well done. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how the Namor character comes across in this particular version of him. And I think that there is a good story that I've kind of had my eye on in the beginning about, you know, what it means to be a ruler and, you know, at specific times of being a ruler, uh, the line, you know, only the broken, most broken people can be great, can be great rulers, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just great lines. There's great writing in this, uh, Angela Bassett's, you know, whole, every speech she's given has been like pretty, I mean, I know she's got at least two great monologues in this movie and, you know, that's more than enough. Um, yeah, have I not given everything, you know, that one line and then this one about, I know what they're whispering, you know, we've lost our protector. Yeah, so, okay. so yeah, yeah. yeah and, there, and it looks to be a story that does in fact pull Wakanda together, which is a very kind of meta story for the cast and crew of this film, trying to come together and carry on past, you know, the loss of Chadwick Boseman and, and honor what this franchise has meant to so many people across the world and keep it going. And so, I'm very interested to see. Um, yeah, this gives a bit, a big bit away. And I don't know, like, I just don't know what Marvel psychology is right now surrounding this. Like, I don't know if they're trying to just show you stuff to kind of get it out of the way. Like, yes, there will be a Black Panther. Yes, this is going to continue. It is going to pretty much be the story we expect. Um, and just to kind of get that out of the way so that we can focus on the kind of deeper meaning of it. Or is it a a misdirect? Because, I mean, I still think that while Shuri is, of course, the comic successor and the royal person to this, I still think even the way they kind of introduce this Black Panther in the shot is a direct, almost a direct echo of how Chadwick, you know, T'Challa's Black Panther comes in first encounters Nakia in the first movie. And I'm kind of really... I'm still sticking to the theory that it's Nakia because I still think that makes a lot of sense as a person because I think, yes, I, I, I think there is substance to Rob's kind of theory of multiple black Panthers, but I think one of those black Panthers has to be a person who believes in going out and doing stuff around the world and not just yes. in Wakanda. And that has to be Nakia who's been kind of primed for that already so i'm sticking to that theory um angela bassett i did this in a tweet for our comic book nation podcast uh show i'm gonna start calling the show it's really more of a show now anyway so let's just call the show anyway so yeah i think it's gonna be nakia i think angela bassett's gonna act the living shit out of this movie and really i mean 
carry those powerful parts. I think Brian Coogler's put together a, a visually stunning thing. Um, the what I'm least interested in is like the whole Marvel of it all. This <laughs> is strangely what I'm least interested in. I'm interested in seeing the Wakandan people do this kind of half meta story about overcoming. I'm interested in meeting Namer in this new vision of uh, what's it called? Talakan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not Atlantis. And um, yeah, uh, I, but like the whole Marvel lore of it all and all that, I'm not sure. There's also been nothing. I don't think that I've seen that has, I mean, have we seen anything yet? Correct me if I'm wrong. I guess I, I'd rather get shot down here by you guys than like out in <laughs> forms. But is there anything that has defeated the theory that this could all be set during the blip yet? Have we seen anything that kind of shoots that down? Ooh. Uh, that has not been a talking point in any of the uh, Cougar interviews with the trailers. So that's a good point. Uh, would that... Like, would the Ironheart stuff conflict with that theory? We don't even know how she's involved. I, I'm assuming, is she just a, maybe I missed this. Is she just a student from, like, the Shuri Science Institute yeah. set up in the first film? Okay, I figured that's yep, what it was. pretty much. So, um, like, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know. Right, she doesn't, I mean, she could be on a Mark Three by the time we get back to present day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. and, you know, some of the t-shirt designs kind of suggest there's obviously, like, all Iron Man related Costumes or multiple iterations of, of you know the suit. Yeah. So, um, good question. That would be cool. So, if it did take place during the blip, like how would that, in your opinion, like impact the story? Okay. So this started up in the comic book offices. It was on the Phase Zero podcast, and it kind of we continued it into the Comic Book Nation podcast. The theory basically is that some people think that the blip this will occur between like during the blip. And so T'Challa is gone. And so right. it's not just a T'Challa, but T'Challa has gone and half of Wakanda is gone. And that's what everybody's kind of reacting to. The only contradiction was some like thing that said Shuri was missing, but they can retcon that pretty easily to say, because right. it was never officially confirmed. Everybody else we've seen, we like Queen Ramonda, M'Baku, um, you know, presumably Nakia, like all these people are people we can say were around still. Right. And it would explain why Namor and people think that now is the time to kind of strike is in this kind of weekend time. Wakanda's vibranium and all that stuff would be stuff to take. Um, people like iron, like Riri Williams would be there to help kind of reinforce while other people are gone, you know, and doing that and getting kind of mentorship where she could, and basically, they would sidestep Chadwick Boseman's death by saying, you know, this is during the blip. That's why T'Challa's not there. Um, and you would essentially kick the can down the road to having to deal with the next time you saw T'Challa in present day would be like something you could kind of dance around and th until like you start messing with reality and secret wars of it all, right? Um, right. And kind of... Yeah then bring things back after secret wars. And in that sense, you could introduce a variant dark, you know, black Panther who would at least give you a more respectable road to recasting T'Challa and coming in with a new version of black Panther. Right. You know, if it works for Wolverine, essentially it could work here. And so you would just basically kick the can narratively in universe down, like, 
tell a story that reflects the real life loss while in the universe kind of keeping T'Challa's the doorway to T'Challa like they're doing with so many characters open for his later return. And when you have to facilitate that return, you have a different actor and there's a story premise for why. And so you can just kind of go for it. So that's a theory. I don't know. I think it would be more mature to just deal with it. Yeah. Because I think it is to say, like, say he's actually dead in this universe, because then you still have the same storytelling device to say, we need a new T'Challa after secret wars. And here's how now we're going to get one and everybody will be happy about that and won't be like raging about it. Yeah. Um, but, and, and you'll have earned that and, and dealt with the grown up stuff, but um, it is Marvel and I could see them doing that. It kind of sides. It does feel to me and Rob, you can jump in, but just like weighing in really quick. Sure. Like it does feel to me like to really like honor Chadwick Boseman, you do need to deal with it. And if it's this gimmicky thing where it takes place during the blip, that's like great for Marvel lore and kind of like the comic book of it all. Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that in the, in the comic books would be really cool. It's like, Hey, here's this new black Panther story. Oh, you know, by the way, it takes place during this period of time that was sort of unexplored. And, you know, we're giving you this interesting perspective on, on a war that's sort of raging in a period of time that we largely just glossed over because we were trying to undo it in comic, the comic book of it all, that is really interesting. And I would love to read that comic book, but given that we like lost this guy who was such a hero and, you know, groundbreaking within the MCU and and meant so much to so many people, like, you know, it's kind of like, to me, it's a little bit like Tupac showing up as a hologram or something, you know, it's like, I'd, it feels like more like, of a gimmick than it does. Like this is a meaningful way of dealing with the fact that we, we lost somebody that meant a lot to a lot of people in sort of a shocking way. Like, I feel like this movie has to, has to deal with that to, and I feel like the way that they've handled a lot of the Chadwick Boseman discussion and setting this movie up was leading us to believe that they would actually deal with that. Um, Because like you said, you could accomplish the same thing, with secret wars and alternate realities, you know, giving us a new T'Challa, you don't lose that. But to me, it would be a cop out. I think if it was during the blip, it's a cool theory to think about and it, it could very well be what they're doing, but I, I kind of hope they don't do that. I think I have an answer. And this, of course, you know, Marvel is not afraid to retcon things these days. Um, this strikes a particular chord because it was Angela Bassett who told us on screen rant that Shuri had survived the blip. Right. But then, if you remember, like the Infinity War Endgame, I guess it was Endgame, the trailer or whatever showed her along with like Ant Man as like one of the missings. And then when they did, yeah. did those, if you remember the posters, they did the black and white posters and the color posters. And the black yeah. and white ones were like Avenge the Fall. And these are all the people we lost in the blip, all the Avengers. Shuri was listed there. So in film and in the marketing, they showed her, even though they didn't show it on screen in Infinity War, they should have. Um, she we can suppose that like in canon, she should have been one of the vanished. So I would assume uh, this does have to take place. At least what we're seeing in the trailer, any scene with Shuri should be after that. That being said, there's a a lot of time this film may cover or should cover. Because if you look at the timeline of when the Black Panther movie came out, like it was like 2018, right? But I think in the timeline, it was just like a week or right after Civil War, which was set two years earlier. So that's 2016. 
And then you look at where the post blip era is now, which is what 2023, 2024, 2025, we're like eight, nine years ahead. So there's a, between like the Black Panther movie in Canon and where we are when the sequel comes in Canon, there's been eight, nine years and sure he's been gone for five of those. So there, there, I would hope this movie explores like what happened a little bit into Wakanda and maybe this affects what happens to Namor and Talokan and whatever as well, like environmentally, right? Cause there were massive changes to the world, which they talk about a bit in Endgame as well. Um, so we could get flashbacks to like how Wakanda dealt with this. They lost both royal children, right? Um, and then we know in the trailer, Shuri's there, so it has to be post-blip. So I, I do think like to honor T'Challa, the way they did this film, and to honor Chadwick, they're going to deal with it. But to what you guys end, ended with there, the point about like how Secret Wars changes everything, I think by then enough time will have passed that the crew and the cast and and, and, and fandom and everybody, the family like, can can – come to terms and, and have a, you know, embrace a different T'Challa from a different universe or, or bring back a different version of Killmonger or whatever they want to do, like all the fan theories suggest. Um, and if funny enough, Winston Duke kind of suggested the same thing. He just did an interview, I think timed with the, or just before this trailer or with the trailer um, on some major podcast for Spotify. And he said something like um, for him, it was important to honor Chadwick and like what this meant for him. Cause like, you know, his real life experiences and everything he stood for in real life, that was the embodiment of that character on screen. It meant so much more. So it, like, it was the right thing not to recast. But then he ended with, ended with saying, you know, as time passes and we're dealing with a universe that has multiple dimensions and multiple realities and alternate histories, that of course there's a way in the future to service everybody's desires. So I think he's kind of hinting at like maybe long-term, of course there'll be different versions of Black Panthers, especially in Secret Wars, even if it's just a glimpse or a cameo or a different change or a different history of Wakanda then. The same way the What If series kind of deals with that, with we have, you know... Um, we have T'Challa as Star Lord, and he won a posthumous award for that for that for the voice acting in, in that role. So um, by then, you know that's well, I don't know when that was it coming out three years from now. You know that's a long time. So who knows? Um, maybe that decision hasn't even been made yet. But I think for this movie, I think you guys nailed it. I think they, they kind of like Kofi said, yeah, they have to deal with it for this film. And I think they, judging from everything I just said, I, th- I think they are. It'd be kind of weird not to at this point, I believe. Yeah. Um, we will certainly see. You got any other theories, Kofi, you want to run by us? I love, that was an interesting one. Well, you know, you never know with Disney. I mean, there's a popular theory that Scar ate Mufasa now, and, you know, Disney might have showed you that and just skipped over, really <laughs> letting you know the full horror of it. So, that's you know, right. yeah, so you never know what they could do. Um, yeah, but I think. <laughs> I think you get by the Secret Wars, you just got to get there, and you can you can do everything like get Wesley Snipes in a Black Panther suit like he always wanted. So there's there's stuff to do, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, but you know, I don't know. Like, I honestly, I I think like we are just kind of now, I I'm leaning towards it being post blip because I I'm pretty sure the only thing what I've been leaning on is I think there was an interview that Kevin Feige gave to somebody at some point where he kind of iterated that with the exception, everything after black widow would be kind of like post blip and they wouldn't be kind of going back, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, It would also be very weird to end phase four with another flashback movie. Yeah. Rather than kind of pushing things forward. Because then it would become like, what the fuck was the point of Phase 4? Which is articles we've written on comic book already. And even yeah. done videos about, like, yeah, what is the point of Phase 4? Like, what are we even going to look back and call Phase 4 when this is all over? The Confusion Saga? Like, 
Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck is this? Like, trying to survive COVID saga? But, um, like, yeah, because there isn't, like, a whole... It's, like, a weird... Like, what has... It's just been, like, everybody dealing with PTSD from Endgame, basically. Like, that's yeah. been, like, the whole fucking theme of this whole thing. So, yeah, I don't know. It would be weird to kind of go backwards and unless you were kind of going back to set up and establish a new, like Rob said, there's a lot of years that they've kind of, I mean, we, it feels like we know Wakanda so well now because everybody responded to black Panther and in infinity war was set there, but we really don't like, we really haven't spent all that much time in Wakanda at all. As Rob pointed out, like, We've been there for like a week or two after Civil War, and we were there for like a day in Infinity War, and that's <laughs> yeah. about it. Like, it's- we don't know shit. Like, and the TV shows have already established that you know things are happening in in the post blip era of Wakanda because the Dora Milaje are out there hunting motherfuckers down and stuff. Like, they're doing stuff, so you know things are moving in that part of the world. Um. Yeah, so I don't know, but I just don't know. Like, I can't trust. I want to trust that they're going to do a post split, but I know Disney, like, I don't know. They can just, they do love to kick that can down the road and avoid major problems. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I'm hoping that, I don't know, we do get some kind of, like Rob said, some kind of fill in on, like, what the hell has been happening in Wakanda. And uh, in, in, in for the for kind of like the world, because I think there are things we know there will be flashbacks of some kind. Cause we're going to see, uh, Namor's birth. Uh, I think Rob pointed out like some things like, you know, there are lines, you know, whales are the big red or the big kind of clues to everything in these comic book universes. Right. Superman. Yes. We knew an Aquaman movie was coming when Superman was saved by those whales in man of steel. And we are, and we all knew Aquaman was coming. <laughs> Now, like, you know, like Rob said, like, what happened to those whales in the Hudson when everybody came back? Did the pollution just kill them? Did that piss Namor off? Because there were whales, like, swimming in the Hudson. Now, like, all the people came back, and now there's no whales swimming in the Hudson again. Like, you know, whales, man. It could be the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I hope that they kind of, I think, for me, the more interesting story would be the post-blip era. But, I mean, it's... The thing about having it now, here's what I've been kind of like trying to wrap my head around here. There is one anxiety I have, which is that any movie I think I've ever seen that has like lost its main actor or something like that, or had to kind of like get around the fact that they couldn't keep using the same actor has done some kind of like weird kill off sequence, right? Yeah, for sure. And they always do it. And it, oh, I'm trying to think. There's one on the tip of my brain, and I can't think about what it is. But it was a recent example where they like lost a main actor or another. Oh, it's stuff like Underworld. Okay, yeah. Like I'm thinking of like Underworld with like when they couldn't get Scott Speedman back for Underworld Four, right? right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the one that always haunts my dreams. It's like where you have this cheap kind of <laughs> like reference because they had to keep the character in the movie but he was always yeah. just like running away out of frame whenever she would find yeah. him or like oh, you know you yeah. couldn't see him from the back and it was like this horrible oh, thing so weird yeah yeah and so like i just don't want black panther wakanda forever to open with like some kind of like 
you know, opening sequence where it's not hologram Tupac, but it is CGI Black Panther. Jeez. Yeah. Just and some yeah, horrible yeah. voiceover matching thing, like deep fake. Like, and it's just like him doing a fight and like saving somebody and getting flooded or whatever the hell happens in some quick sequence that we see. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. And I'm really scared that in order to do it, like, and to acknowledge the character's death, like, that's what you have to do. Cause you can't do anything like really. You can't have like a major death scene that'd be too upsetting and too kind of meta, right? So like yeah. you you have to have something like, you know, quick off screen, like, oh, he got hit in the flood and he got washed away, you know, like and he's gone or something like you know, and yeah, I just feel like if that's the opening sequence, I'm just gonna be like rolling my eyes. So yeah, I don't know. I feel good. like it's no easy answer either way though. I feel I like yeah, it's just no, no, no. you're damned it, if you do, you're damned if you don't. It may have come out from the trailers, but it's possible they just open the film with the funeral sequence. Um, and they don't have to show anything. It's all done through the yeah. emotions of it all. And, and and I'm sure at some point they have to have some sort of dialogue explanation for it all. But holy shit, you, yeah, what you said is true. You're giving me nightmares of Mortal Kombat 2 when they all the, <laughs> the intro, they just oh, yeah. kill off characters and they're different actors. And it's like, what the hell? Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I, also, I think Coogler's pretty sad. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do some cheap thing it wouldn't feel right and i don't think we need an over-the-top visual explanation of what's going on you know what i mean um i think the characters can sell it through a sequence like that like we see in the trailer or the funeral sequence if i see some shit that looks like it was shot on the same stage that opening to dr strange 2 i'm out oh no yeah i uh, yeah i hadn't even thought about this like component of it but you you're definitely right i mean if they if the film opens with some like horrific thing happening to a CGI version of black Panther and then like, you know, the suit opens up and you know, he's dead on the ground and the suit opens up and it's Chadwick Boseman's face or something. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I don't do think that. that, I don't think that starts you off on the right foot for sure. I agree. Like, I think it'd be bold if they just, you know, start with like, even just like, you know, like a, like opening kind of like what, a what uh oh my god house of the dragon did with like introducing kind of the concept that it was a prequel and it was like you know 200 years before Daenerys or something like that like if you just did like a cold open with you know kind of like sort of an explanation of something like you know the hero of wakanda went and fought and like you know defeated a you know i don't know defeated whatever or something and it was you know he gave his life to protect Wakanda and then boom, it just opens and it's the funeral scene. Like something like that would actually, I think be a lot more evocative and powerful than them trying to do a flashback or even try and deal with it in dialogue all that much. Um, Like, do you think it was okay? But here's my thing. Like the other thing I'm kind of like really wondering about is a story point, which is like, do you make Namor responsible for this death? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I think the goal, I think there's going to be so many misdirects with the Black Panther mantle part of it, but also him. And we see it in the trailers already, right? Because like M'Baku is referring to him as like the Serpent God, which is from, you know, South yeah. American Mayan mythology, uh, Kukulkan, I don't know how to pronounce it, yeah. but, you know, the Mesoamerican religions and such. Um, and he seemed, we know from the from the imagery, like from his, from his headdress, which is based on a real... Um, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's, it's based on the real like feathered serpent god, you know, in, in Aztec culture. It's 
he's seen from his own people, the people of Talokan, as a god. And we see Wakanda see him as a god as well. But we know from what Tanosh, the actor, said, like, he's not. He's a mutant. So I'm, I'm curious how they handle that part of it. Because, like, obviously, when we talked about this in the podcast as well, like, this, they're seeding more mutants and that word will keep popping up. And this could be an explanation of how mutants have hidden in this version of the MCU as gods throughout history. They're not just a recent ex-gene anomaly, right? So uh, I'm curious how much of that plays into it. Like, are we supposed to, did he mess up by telling us he's a mutant? Is that not supposed to be a thing? Like, I wonder how much that plays into the film. But the larger point is he's an anti-hero. He's not the straight up villain. So to have him responsible for killing a hero, I don't think that's the case. And we know from his dialogue at the beginning, you know, the broken ruler thing and that Kofi quoted. And we see a little flashback of him as a kid and the burning buildings behind him. So someone is responsible for his tragedy. Someone is responsible for the tragedies in Wakanda. There are people trying to take advantage of the tragedies. We see that. We see that amazing shot of the Dora Milaje and Okoye like wiping out those Marines. Like there's cool stuff there. I feel like there's another force we haven't seen yet. And of course, this film has to end with setting up the future. And we know Namor and a, and a Panther or Panthers or whoever are a big part of the future on on Team Hero or Team Antihero. So I'm, I'm very curious at the... One, the Ironheart factor in all of it. Is it just a Marvel thing they're throwing in just to set up future stuff? And is there another force we don't know about yet or something that ends this movie in a gray area where it's not clearly one versus the other? There's something else going on. Like, I feel like that's the Marvel way, right? So, um, but I'm also curious, maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe they're going to keep it simple. And it is just a one thing leads to another. Misunderstandings lead to the powder keg exploding and we get all that war. Like we're seeing what appears to be just one shot, what looks like Wakanda being flooded. And we see the chambers and the fires. Like I'm curious how far this goes. Um, so I don't know. Post-credits uh, scene. Do you think they reveal that it's a scroll? The dead child is a scroll? Oh, dude, could you imagine? That's 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 oh, that's next level. <laughs> uh, no, it's the Eternals. Um, remember them? Remember that? God. Yeah. I wonder if they're coming back. Uh, do you didn't, think the didn't Barry King just Celestial... talk about the fact he didn't think they were coming back? Wasn't that recently? Oh, uh, yeah. Barry, who, Barry Kagan? He's already yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah. He says, I don't know if they're doing internal stuff. So of course they are at some point. He was he like, no one's heard. Change yeah. the universe and have all this shit appear. I wonder if the giant celestial up north is like affecting Namor's land and nobody knows about it yet. <laughs> Making the Still waiting for someone yeah. to deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the complete changing of Earth's landscape. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, so I weird. But I, I mean, I fucking love this Talokan stuff. And the, oh man, like I'll keep doubling down on it. The idea of like, um, oh, what's the panther god? Is it uh, Bast? Is that right? Bast? The, the yeah. idea that the, yeah, past, the so. very first Panther God sets up the, in history, that like, sets up the first Black Panther, and that's steeped yeah. in their culture. And then Talokan, the same thing, the Serpent God and their beliefs. Like, it's such a cool way to do that in the MCU. But also, the second layer of it, it's a genius way to differentiate it from Atlantis and Aquaman. Like, it actually feels genuinely different. I don't even think about Aquaman when seeing this stuff. So they did such a tremendous job of keeping those things different and making like you know, your, your Atlantean leaders like feel different um, in these different universes. So get yeah. on those universes for making those both work because you would <laughs> never yes. think, you know? The water effects look pretty good too. At least, you know, everything in this trailer, like the way people are moving through the water. I guess that's not new now that Aquaman has done it and, you know, Avatar is doing all this filming. And- no, but then I think they made those guys get in like a fucking tank. Here's and actually yeah. swim. Yeah. It does kind of look like it. It's especially no, I mean, those guys gonna like, tank. Yeah, I mean, especially that Marvel's known for kind of like crummy CGI sometimes when it 
you know, when you're dealing with sort of like big open shots with a lot of characters, like moving through them, it's like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste type stuff. It like is. Some you're of these right. guys like going through the water actually looked real to me in a way that a lot of that doesn't. Yeah. I mean, no offense to James Wan and everybody who worked on Aquaman. They got their billion and I, and I enjoy Aquaman for what it is, but you could tell that those were like wires and then making totally. that look like water. Uh, oh yeah. When she, like, like, she kind of, yeah, good. I think we're going to say the same thing. It's just, no, I was going to say just like when Patrick Wilson and him are like getting ready and talking and getting ready to, and having that whole fight and stuff like that. You're like, yeah. Okay. Those are people on wires. Like yeah. the, the way CG they just move through the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I always think about Mira when she does that kind of swoop move that we saw in the trailers. Um, as being like, you know, having how we knew behind, you know, behind the scenes that it was all wire work and stuff like we that. We see it's the like, Dolph Lundgren, like wire work behind the scene where he's like floating yeah, to the throne. Exactly. It's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting from a physical set standpoint. But yeah, it's absolutely like some of the CGI doesn't effectively convey that. <laughs> it's real water. Yeah. However, that, that's the biggest call out of the first teaser when you see like the baby in the water and like the, them swimming with what, you know, some sea creatures. Like it looks like real swimmers in real water and they shot it under the water looking up a real light. You can't CGI yeah. that light, you know? Um, it, it was awesome. I think, you know, in the first Black Panther, for it being one of the best MCU and best superhero films, like, some of the third act CGI shit was terrible. They just they had too many vendors, not enough time. Like, especially it wasn't a uranium mind ooh. fight with the, with the rubber CGI people. Like, this didn't work. Um, yeah, it, it's not even that. I mean, it's become infamous, and I did a whole analysis of this when the first Black Panther 2 teaser came out during Comic-Con because people... Twitter was quickly on it and they were saying how stunning it looked. And they started this whole campaign about this better be the fucking finished product. It better look like this. And there was just entire threads of photo comparisons showing you what that very first black Panther teaser that came out with the music. When you first knew like Kendrick and the music and all that shit was coming and you saw him and it was just like, they showed the shot of Chadwick walking up to like when he's approaching, you know, uh, the third act when he's kind of like approaching the enemy army and all that stuff. And they showed you like what it looked like in the beginning versus what it looked like when Marvel ran out of time and then just had to do like shitty kind of matting and rendering on all their, on all the shots. But like, yeah, Kugler shot like a very naturalistic like thing. And it was a big, and there was a little inside baseball from black fans about like how he had captured like skin tone and like all of this, whereas Marvel's digital thing like lightened everything and made everybody. Yeah. And you could see like shots with him and Nakia, and you see like, you know, how Kugler had shot and the cinematographers had like captured like, you know, how beautiful Napita Nyongo is with shadows on her dark skin and all stuff like that versus like the finished product where it was just lightened and this fucked up like somebody had gone on a cell phone and taken the brightness setting up. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's just like, and so like, it, and it, and like Rob was saying, it was in, it wasn't that the artist, and, and I'm very careful because I, I hate, like, I feel like sometimes we just start to shit on digital artists, but it it wasn't that they were doing a bad job. It's that they didn't have the time, like you said, exactly. to kind of yeah, finish yeah. it. And so when you run out of time, you have to start covering anything. And the thing about digital art that's so fucked up is if you've done 75%, like, you might as well have not done anything because you then yeah. have to just, 
you then have to just make everything like 40% to just get it all done and covered. Right. Like, right. so you have a hundred percent of the film looking at like it's 40% versus yep. just like pockets of it looking like a hundred and pockets of it looking like it's 10. Right. So you got to kind of just even out the the difference. So yeah, man, I just hope they have enough time and I feel like they had the respect and the smarts to at least give this one enough time and put it, the effort in. Maybe that's why, some of the other ones don't look so good. And maybe most of the teams were working on this one. Um, who knows? But uh, I, I hope so. And I hope that because these trailers, you dug yourself in deep this time because people have really, the visuals from these trailers have been really stunning and people, they're already kind of been preserved and spread around and people are going to know if they go and see the next, the last theatrical product. And it's just, the shots look all goofy. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so sure. hopefully these are the shots we get and they have like, yeah, finished effects, but I mean, so far so good. I mean that Namor shot when he's dodging in the air is kind it's of the only weird one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's weird, but it's, it's also a weird thing to, it's going to be a weird thing to see because we all think it looks cool to, to see in the comics, but yes, a man with tiny wings on his feet is going to be a weird thing to see. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious how much of that. I mean, we see quite a bit of it in the trailer, I guess, actually. But you know, I thought, I don't know. I could, uh, I could definitely appreciate the, you know, the shot of him kind of floating up to the, you know, to the citadel there or whatever. And you know, it looks like he starts like basically throwing that spear through the glass to get in. But I, if man, if he's like zipping around in those little wings, like for a bunch of the movie, I. I guess I'll still enjoy it and I'm, I will probably get on board, but it, it's a, it's a tough, like the physics of that just have me kind of, uh, there's a disconnect there for me for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've never, uh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I've never understood. Like, I feel like you would just fucking fall over all the time. Right. Like you'd be (laughs) putting all that weight on your ankles, like and force on your ankles. Like you'll just topple over. I don't know. Powers, man. Um, yeah, I'm actually surprised they went with that. I thought it would have been, would have been a more like symbolic costume accessory as opposed to like literal tiny micro wings that are supporting his weight uh, and suit. It's it's very strange, but you can tell like you know the first teaser being such a tone setter and all practical effects, and then like they do the cover reveals with Empire and whoever, and like it's always like shots of him and everyone on Twitter is like this guy is such a sex symbol. Oh my god, they're so thirsty for Namor. And then like we get the trailer and it ends with him with the little wings. They definitely saved it. The timing of it was so precise from a marketing st- marketing standpoint because that is at this point the weirdest looking thing and maybe the toughest sell. And of course, us as fans are like, yeah, good on them. They went for it. Good on Coogler for doing it and and explaining yeah. why he did it. But um, yeah, one hundred percent standpoint, it's it's certainly. St- uh, jarring, you know. I would, but, yeah. I mean, I would much rather have them do it than not do. I mean, sure. like, just it. like, yeah. I mean, that's it. Just like you said, it's like if you know, if he wants to do it, he thinks it's going to be cool, and like the, you know, the, I don't know. These movies have avoided some of the goofiest shit in the comics on multiple occasions, and I'm kind of here for it when they just like lean into it and make it still look. Because that shot of him floating up there looks kind of badass, even though it's like, like I said, the physics of it are, you know, will break your brain, but 
<laughs> no, I mean, first, I think they'll get around a lot of it because it does look cooler in the water. Like the water can totally, hide totally. Yeah. and the physics yeah. make it make more sense in the water. Like, cause you know, like the wings are probably helping him swim like a fucking fish fins. Um, anyway, the thing is, I, I'm glad they went with that instead of trying to rationalize it and pull some Sam Raimi shit like with uh, the original Spider-Man movie, which now people love. But it really was kind of nuts in the first one to make his webs organic and coming out of his body, right? I mean, yeah. it raised a lot of whole Cronenberg questions that we just skipped over, but <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, it, it was a big change, and it was kind of a weird thing to do. So I'm glad they didn't just do like some bullshit like water world him and like make him have like some crazy superpowered fin feet or something that could yeah, like move sure. super fast or some bullshit like floats through telekinesis or some shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like some weird stuff. Like, so I'm happy they just are going to, like you said, they're just going to go for the craziness and I think they'll get around it by, we'll have some aerial stuff, but just keep that shit in the water for the most part and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you guys want to say about the trailer before we mm, move on? Touched on it all. Um, yeah, so we, we despite showing out. us a lot, I feel like there's still a lot of cool like mysteries. Like again, we don't know Shuri's real role in all of this and stuff. No, like we don't know shit. Dude. Like we we have yeah. no idea. We know that two play. We know that like at some point, Talo Khan and Wakanda are convinced to fight each other, and yeah. we yeah. don't know why. And that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so inevitably, do you guys think there's going to be a bigger bad that than Namor and? you know, the black Panther have to team up to fight at the end of this movie, or are they going to kind of leave it like Namor gets defeated in sort of a way similar to, um, I'm just like completely spacing the character from the first movie. You guys were talking about him earlier. Killmonger? Right? Yeah. From Killmonger. I was sitting here going, I was thinking like, kill no way. yeah, but like, cause I mean, they sort of end that in a way where there's like a battle and then there's sort of a, like kind of a recognition on his part that, you know, he did, he did things the only way he knew how to do it. And not that I think Namor would be killed, but if there's a way for them to kind of, by the end of it, like there's this big battle. And then at the end of it, Namor's kind of defeated, but not like killed I, off or something. I mean, it feels like they have to team up and fight something bigger. Well, but. I was teasing this earlier, but there being a, another force behind it all. Right. But I don't know if it, that means like another villain is going to show up. I think that'd be kind of strange um and it, it may take away from the story or feel like a third act cop out i do think though like you know both lands and both peoples are going to be in ruin after this but I, th- I do think there'll be a teaser setup or some other underlying force or tease of things to come whether that's a direct adversary or some like we joked about scrolls I, I don't know about that but i do think this has to end with them neither side being the antagonist if you know what i mean yeah you know i think this yeah. needs to end no, i mean heroes and anti-heroes I mean, I've always been maintaining that there's a big kind of like villain conspiracy going on and there's going to be like a big villain upsurge in the next phase in phase five, which is what we're about to kick off. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something going on, whether and you could just sew it up as, you know, we all are joking about the leader and stuff, but you could just you could sew it up by saying this person is, you know, the leader manipulated kind of all of these actions to happen and maybe is even the one responsible for taking out T'Challa, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, um, that could be. It could be a new version of AIM, which kind of hinted at a lot of the craziness behind, you know, with the the, the decoy version of Mandarin. Like the, all those, all those tragedies in Iron Man three were caused by this like AI for political reasons almost right and we do know from a lot of the scenery in the trailers that politics are a part of this and we know uh you know martin freeman's everett ross is back so like the there is an involvement of whatever government agencies and the un or some version of that right so maybe that's and that could be tied into like the thunderbolts and all the weird politicking we're seeing behind that and black widow and everything else is coming up right so i'm I'm sure it's it's a marvel movie so it's tying into that it'll set up something right so Maybe that's the underlying force behind it all. Who knows? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, you guys want to talk about some stuff that you've been uh, you've been checking out? Sure. What do you guys watch? So, so you guys you guys have both seen Werewolf by Night. I know, like Rob, kind of teased some of his, I think, impressions last time uh, mm-hmm. briefly. But now that you've both seen it, um. I'm kind of like, I'm sort of curious, Kofi, what you thought of it, especially. I think that, um, werewolf by night and, uh, I'm getting into a whole, I have a whole running thread on Twitter where I'm doing October spooky movie Ooh. and stuff watches and kind of sharing it all in one thread. Uh, I also watched the descent and the descent part two, which holy shit, those two movies can be more different. One should not <laughs> exist. One is still one of the greater horror movies of the 2000s in my book. One. Yeah, yeah, oh man, that one's crazy. The Descent's nuts. Such a good story. So forward-thinking, great female leads, such a great story between them and like what happens. And Yeah, the first act of that movie is just claustrophobia alone. It's just enough to freak you out. I will, and it's just... Ugh crazy good great creature design and i did not know until i until i fucking watched it this time that it's set in appalachia which is where i'm driving through tomorrow evening with my entire family so hopefully the car keeps working um yeah but um let's talk werewolf by night um yeah marvel has something on their hands with this special presentation stuff and it and it's kind of almost funny it's taken this long to do something like this because it's 53 minutes and it manages to what they do is uh, and Ben you'll appreciate this is it's it's like a short story right so like yeah. you just kind of come in Medius race you come in the middle of it you you see this kind of small episode of a story play out but it also implies along the way so much is implied about the universe and like how these characters fit into it and like what their arcs are respectively mm-hmm. and it, it's pretty interesting. And so I was surprised by that. I was surprised by how good of a director Michael Giacchino is um, from the aesthetic yeah, that he, in the tone. And he's, he's able to do to the action sequences in this, which are really good. Um, yeah. Really good action sequences in this and some pretty hardcore action sequences in this. There are some things that happen that are, uh, yeah, it's definitely like an action with a horror thing and, and leans more even to like an R rating, but not quite there. I would give it like a hard PG 13 to R divide, but um, yeah, it was surprising how well it turned out and it automatically opens a whole door to the Marvel horror cinematic universe and gives you some fun characters to play and great, some good actors playing them. And uh, yeah, it makes me want to see like blade and 
Moon Knight get even spookier and all kinds of other horror people like Man Thing, who is a bona fide star. So, yeah, man, my reaction is all the way thumbs up. It, and it's a great Halloween treat for fans to have in kind of the spooky season. I cannot believe that Michael Giacchino, the dude who like composed all the soundtracks for all these like movies, that, you know, the three of us have been talking about for the last two decades. Yeah. Um, you know, he did like lost. He did this. He did like the star Trek movies. He's like been doing a bunch of Marvel stuff lately. And like, now we have him directing what is like a relatively like high profile thing in some respects. I mean, not like, you know, it's oh, not no, like baby. the great thing mind. is, Oh, whoa, whoa. The great thing about this is we were all debating whether werewolf by night was even a real thing up until D 23. Right. Yeah, 100%. And now it's come out of nowhere, and it's shooting up the charts, and it's just like, everybody's like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. And yeah, and and you'll be happy to know that that dude not only directs an awesome thing, but also scored the shit out of it. It's an Hell, amazing yeah. score, too. That's it's so got cool. awesome, like, it's got, like, like, the darker, like, Temple of Doom vibes, you know what I mean? Like, Indiana Jones era pulpy stuff, but, like, it fits the horror monster theme really well. It, it's a well-put-together piece, and like Kofi said, if, if it weren't for the black and white stuff, if you saw the blood of some of the action scenes, it would instantly get an R rating, and it could have, if had they done that, it could have pushed a few more things, but... um I agree with everything Kofi said, and I hinted that the monster stuff is amazing. Man thing is super cool. The two leads are, are really, really well done. I, I do think they get a little too campy with some of the um, the other characters you meet, but it fits the vibe they're going for. So it just kind of works. It's good enough for what they're what they're what they're doing when you meet these other hunters and such. Um, yeah, it's a very Vincent Price kind of. It's a there's a lot of if you've ever seen Vincent Price there there are so many head nods to kind of old Vincent yeah. Price material in this. Uh, down to like yeah the campy sequence you, I think you're in the beginning with like uh, you see the trailer with the animatronic person and stuff like that like yeah, yeah. in the big burly so like bounty that. hunter and, and the main antagonist girl like you know the way they yeah. talk and act it, it fits the arrow what they're going for um, it, 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 it works right and, but the leads are really fucking selling and, and I I think I mentioned this last week but like this is not a uh, a special that's full of cameos. You know, everyone was saying like, <laughs> like half the characters in the MCU or certainly the darker ones were going to show up, but that's, that's not the case. But in the future, you know, maybe. But um, yeah, I do think the the idea of these special presentations is awesome. It's it's everything we kind of think they should be doing on streaming services, and, and they are going to do it with like the Christmas special and Guardians, and they should take advantage of all these holiday stuff or use it to like bring characters together as, as like you know quality versions of the classic Star Wars holiday special, not the garbage throwaway stuff of the of the days old. So that all works. And I do think it's also – I still want to see one day where they do shorts like this and they put them in front of their theatrical releases, the Pixar formula. Totally. Because why not? You know, why not? We did the Marvel one-shots back in phase one. Like, let's bring that back, but with characters like this and have yeah. them tie into other things. It's, it's, it's They have so many characters now. Let them pop up here and there for 50-minute presentations or 10-minute shorts. Like there, there are no rules anymore with Disney+, Plus, right? So yeah, uh, this is a great shot and it, kind of an unexpected thing when you look at – not just Michael Giacano doing the score and directing, but the cast and the characters as well and the styling of it all. So um, good on them, just like She-Hulk and, and, and WandaVision certainly and a little bit of Miss Marvel, this. like they're, they're pushing different styles and different visual styles and changing the formula and breaking the rules, and that's awesome. I think they're getting some of the most interesting character bits and stories out of it. So um, yeah, it comes out, I think, this week, right? Is it end of this week? I think or so. The 7th? Yes, yeah, Friday. 
Hell's yeah. Friday. So man, you're you have a good weekend watch there, Ben. Yeah, I'm excited for that for sure. I still I just like still cannot believe that he directed this. Like the only things that he'd done previous to this in terms of directing was like a short film, and then he did one of the Star Trek shorts um that they were doing back like uh in like season one two of discovery discovery oh yeah yeah so he did one of those and it was like 15 minutes long or something but for this um but i mean like i you know you guys know i'm a big soundtrack guy like i love listening to scores when i'm like writing and um like (laughs) my entire like apple music recommendations is just like kind of like trailer music like modern classical trailer music and stuff so like I have listened to a lot of Michael Giacchino. I'm excited for him that he's he's like taking this step into into you know kind of a new phase of his career. It's cool. And I'm glad people are responding to it. Well, can you correct me? What is the pronunciation of his last name? Oh, I don't know. I always said Giacchino, uh, but Giacchino. I, I thought Giacchino. Giacchino. Okay. I think Giacchino. I, I don't know. Anyways, it's G G I A C C H I N O. Yeah, I always thought Giacchino, but I I could one hundred percent be wrong about that. Okay. I just don't um, know. Um, yeah, and Gael Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly are both great as you know yeah. Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone, respectively. Yeah, and awesome. um, and shout out to one thing that's the hardest thing to do, which is actually get it right with uh you know an actual werewolf effects and stuff like that and they i have to say they do a good job of keeping it very classic throwback but also actually making this character scary so you know good on them yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. um all right is there have you seen something else you want to talk about kofi or do you want to move on to rob you mentioned Um, something Yes, I did. I have something. I just got to check my legalities first for one uh, second. Okay. And then I can tell you. So I saw basically. What's up? I was going to say, I don't really have anything to talk about. I, I just saw, I, I finally finished Westworld season four and I hope for a season five. If it has not been confirmed yet, but everything you guys talked about that early on in podcast X, I, I agree with. It was quite an enjoyable watch. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you oh, like shit. it. I, yeah, I mean, they like. I don't know. I mean, HBO is going to kill that show, but like, I I hope we get another season of it at least because it's not. I don't think it's confirmed no, yet, is it, right? No, they yeah. haven't. Nope. Yeah. But they should. There, I mean, one more. I mean, they set it up. To, look, yeah, man. A, there's no. It, it'd be stupid not to finish this content block. Like at this point, like yeah. just finish your content block. Like they've even set it up for you, so you can just go back. To the same West World sets from the first thing. You don't have to do anything crazy like a whole city anymore. Chase scenes and all that. You just do the Western show over again. Play with our perceptions of reality again one more time. And yeah. that's really, I think, I think West has been just one long journey of them realizing that, yes, you can get these bigger budgets and do these bigger worlds and all that shit. But in the end, like what we really love and like what this season took yeah. it back to was just fucking with your mind about what's going on and where's what and what's when like totally. that's what yeah it was mystery box stuff for sure yeah 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 it, that's what people really enjoyed and this season did it like last season is always going to be known as the sucky season because it's the one season that didn't fucking do any of that right yeah like yeah, sure. it, it had none of that season two will always be remembered was the one who went a little too crazy on the mystery box 
we didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it was, yeah. And like <laughs> Bernard was having spaz out and Dolores was everywhere. And then, but it still was cool because we got the twist that Dolores had become Charlotte Hale and we didn't know yeah. like all of that was possible. Season yeah. three just kind of sucked um, because they thought they were just going to go make future world. And it was like, nobody cared about that. Yeah. Um, and now like this season did it really good with this, with a surprise twist. Yeah. I think, so yeah, yeah. It, finish it off, you, man. Just play with us. Yeah. And I love the idea that they're like on their loops. Like it's like the whole show is a loop at this point, right? Like now it's, you know, the whole premise of the show is like, you know, our people, it's like robots are on loops and then people are sort of on loops. And now it's like the show is on a loop. Like the show is actually returning kind of to its roots and like kind of starting where it began and like re you know, like revisiting some of its old motifs and stuff. Like I love that, that kind of idea and where it ends now, it doesn't feel like a complete loop. It feels like, you know, you're starting a little bit before or you're ending a little bit before you started. And I, I want to see what the completion of that idea is. Um, uh, I agree because the the theme of season four is like we failed that world, we failed the next world. Can we get it right the, the last time, the next one yeah. in the all digital era? You know what though, that finale for what it's worth does kind of work as a finale, obviously because you, you, you did sort of tie the ends of every existing character. Of course, they keep bringing them back in creative ways, even for like one episode cameos, which yeah. I liked. Even in the final episode, they had that one cowboy guy come back just for one little scene yeah. with that Harris just to get <laughs> shot in the head. But um, yeah. I love that. Uh, but yeah, I'm very curious. They could probably do a little tightened up, shortened final season, bring the ensemble back. Yeah, you only need sets. like five or six episodes, probably. probably. Just like it's not that much to do now because everyone is aware of what's going on now. So I'm very yeah. curious what's yeah. left. So yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you caught up with it, though. I feel like that's a show that I know, like Kofi and I have, like we've enjoyed sort of over the years, and and I know you've been along for that ride as well. But I, it's easy to kind of fall off. I feel like because it has been so cerebral um at times it's and a binge show this is the streaming area that's probably yeah that's probably I, true that yeah. show i could not handle week to week i tried it does not work in that format for me um yeah i can see but that i think that, i think that kills it. it doesn't have that kind of momentum in the way, the way it's told yeah. so but man watching a couple episodes at a time throughout a week it, it's it's wonderful and uh, i'll yeah. never forget man remember new york comic-con i got the black hat you couldn't oh uh, yeah that was sick yeah that was what a cool experience that was yeah yeah anyway. that's cool um okay uh I had a, there you go no yeah, yeah i had one more thing um yeah so i just looked up and sure enough i can talk about the hellraiser yes. remake yeah that's awesome. um which is coming out this week i believe as well uh to so. hulu it's coming out on hulu i think it might already so, be out even is it September 28th? I think, yeah, I think you're good. I think it came out last week. Oh, Which, did it? I need to watch it now. Yeah. Really? Why, well, then why am I watching a... God, well, why am I watching a screener? What is happening? I don't know what reality is anymore. Is there a Hellraker? <laughs> you're really, like, freaking me out right now. So I need to go to Hulu. So we're going to pause this podcast while I try to get my reality <laughs> sorted out. I'll talk about I'll talk about what I am going to No, no, no. I'm going to talk about it, but I, I just need to... I need to know what I'm saying. Oh, I'm wrong. Right I'm now. sorry. I'm wrong. It debuted at Fantastic Fest, and so people were God. reviews. Yeah, them. you were right. You were right. It, it opens Friday. <laughs> it opens. You better Friday. rise at seven and get your shit straight. That's what you're <laughs> 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 like. Uh, 
Oh man, you had me freaking out. I feel like I was like totally losing it right there. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Anyway, okay. So we're back on track. Um, yes. So Hellraiser's coming out this Friday, and um, I was surprised by how well done it was. Um, look, here's the thing. Hellraiser's like to me and i know i'm gonna get hate mail for this but uh send your hate mail to podcast x at ben kendrick's address.com um, <laughs> <rise> yeah <laughs> yeah um so the i mean like so many things clive barker i feel like hellraiser was good in in concept in premise so much more so than it was in the execution of the actual movie uh, Hellraiser. I, I rewatch a lot of horror films all the time. Hellraiser's never been one that I've been like, I've got to rewatch that. Yeah. yeah, and I get it. And it's just mostly because the weird effects. First of all, you can have a stroke watching that movie just yeah. from the amount of kind of like flashy strobe of like a yeah. lot of the footage is that flashy bursts of footage as they're doing this alternate because that's all they could do for like an alternate reality dark yeah. reality in the 80s or 90s and so yeah it, i mean it, it's not that good but um i think this movie now has the technical know-how and a you know a firm idea of the cenobites and that whole kind of lovecrafty and clive barker mythology has become so you know ingrained in us the iconography it's like a boba fett of horror right like yeah. we know more about the iconography of how Pinhead should look than we do about the actual story of Hellraiser, the movie, right? Yeah. Um, so it does make the mythology and the story kind of interesting and much more palpable because it has a technical know-how and it leans a little bit more into the kind of Nightmare of Elm Street style of things, which I think is a smart move which is and, and kind of really helps to effectively convey like what's happening when these beings of an alternate dimension can like invade your reality and, and are claiming people through those, through this box that marks them and kind of then collecting them and torturing them. And it does a smart job of kind of leaning, like I said, into the, the psychological horror of knowing what this box does and what do you choose to do with it? And who do you condemn? If you know, you can save yourself that you know that that final destination that uh the final destination started to get into that dark stuff but um that question and the whole kind of messing with you know the sequences like stranger things did the whole nightmare on elm street of it all when reality kind of fades away and you're not safe because these beings can just you know pluck you out of your reality into their dimension and then do horrible things to you and while it is very, I mean, it is certainly gory, they, it is not torture porny. So you're not like watching people get like tortured and horrible things for too long. I mean, it's all pretty straightforward and effective about the kills and stuff. So, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, Werewolf by Night and Hellraiser both. This is a week that I don't think people understand is like, you guys were starting off a Halloween and a spooky season with a good week. Those are two great releases both on the Disney side, Disney plus and Hulu respectively. And uh, yeah, you guys should be psyched about it. Yeah, I am. So Ashley loves scary movies. So like, there's a lot of, uh, I'm excited to like, you know, with the kid and everything, it's like, we don't get out to the movies all that much anymore. I mean, I, I still do my screenings and stuff, but 
you know, it's her and me being able to go and sit down and like a see a scary movie in a theater is is a thing of the past in a lot of ways. And so it is definitely nice to be able to like know that I can like load this thing and well, you know, my night up. There's no good news on that front. And then, you know, you get used to it. It's not a bad thing. Well, it's not that yeah. you can't. It's just like when you later on have private time, you're like two, doing two to three hours of sitting around a theater and possibly other people. Totally. Is yeah, yeah. not first and foremost on your time list yeah, like 100 percent. yeah like yeah. we were just talking about that though we're, we're, we have a kid who's seven and four and we're just now like maybe we should start getting back to doing that um get, get back yeah. out there is that when because yeah, i've not seen a movie with my wife in five years like since the first yeah, no yeah yeah no no i mean seven years yeah okay yeah, no, we just, what is that okay yeah. now i'm curious what do you guys remember as being the last movie you saw in theaters with your significant others Jesus. Um, we saw, I saw Terminator Genesis with my wife oh. and my parents oh. two days, like a day, the night before I think my baby was born. In fact, we think Emily came out because she was just like, what the fuck is going on out here? <laughs> like, cause yeah. Cause we just were trying to kill time. And my parents had come up for the birth. It was late. Okay. They were staying in a New York hotel. They just paid to stay another week. We were just trying to like do anything to kill time. Cause we were all yeah. just like on standby. So you want to see fucking Terminator Genesis. That's funny. And so that's the last movie I think I, I mean, I've, no, I've seen movies with Allison since then. No, she's gone to screenings. Oh, oh God. We actually, <laughs> we were talking today, just tonight. She will never, I will be dead in the ground or she'll visit my grave to talk about this. We were, um, I was doing something on, this brings us back around to this podcast about uh, Marvel's Eternals or something. And I had a picture of it up on my screen while I was working and she goes, Oh, what is this? Oh no, it was a memory of something. And she was like, Oh, Oh my God. She was like, that's the movie you took me to see on my birthday last year. I remember that. She was like, what terrible movie are you going to take me to see this year? <laughs> Cause I took her to see it on her birthday. I got her like drinks and like gotten feeling nice. And I was like, come on, like, let's go. And she wanted to see it. She likes like Angelina Jolie. And she was like all yeah. psyched and she hadn't seen a Marvel movie since the pandemic. And she was like, Oh man. All right. And we went to take it. And, like, I just remember looking over at her through the whole thing and I've never seen her squirm so hard for like, an entire time in a movie and she was just so disappointed and i was just like i felt like such an asshole because i took her to her birthday to see a movie she just fucking did not like (laughs) whatsoever oh man that would be a rough one Um, she was like why did you bring me to see like the one terrible marvel movie and i was like (laughs) sorry i'm like i'm sorry i'm sorry do you remember, Rob, what your last movie was? With I'm Giselle? trying to think. It was early 2017. So yeah, a couple things come to mind. I get confused because some I know things like Jumanji and Wonder Woman were late that year, and we watched it at home. Um, yeah. She never saw The Last Jedi. That was also end of the year. Our baby was born in July. So like it was like it's possible I took her to a screening, one of like the two I did back then pre-year in Toronto, given the drive, for Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, cause the screening would have been a month before we gave birth. But if it wasn't that, I definitely saw the fate of the furious, which was, you know, a big one that year, obviously. Yeah. So and that was like in the spring. Right. So those are the two I remember. So I managed to get Ashley's parents to, wa- uh, to watch Flynn one. Actually, I think my mom might actually watch Flynn one night while, so that me, my 
me and like a couple of my friends, Ashley and my dad could all go see Jurassic World Dominion <laughs> because Ashley loves the Jurassic Park movies and my dad's a big Jurassic Park fan I, and stuff. But this, this comes to mind. Did Get Out was that 2018? I feel like I saw Get Out with her too that year. Uh, uh, when it, Get was, Out? it would have been close to 2018, uh, 2017. Actually, that was five years. Holy fuck, time flies. So I, I remember that. That's one of the like the three or four big ones we saw that year together because those were earlier in the year. For, um, yeah. We used to go pretty frequently before, you know, so I, I can't really recall, to be honest. But yeah. those are the ones I remember anyways. Um, all right. So uh, last thing, I guess, that there's – so I saw Bros, um, and I reviewed it for Screen Rant, and I really enjoyed it. So this is the Billy Eichner, um, you know, like LGBTQ plus comedy that has like, you know, one of the first LGBTQ plus like leading casts or whatever, where basically like the principal casts are all, um, are all part of that community. And like I, so when I was thinking I was watching it openly, the first openly, openly, yes, accurate, openly the, uh, when, when I saw the trailers for this, I was like, okay, you know, like it's the kind of like goofy, kind of rom-com, um, you know, sort of like, uh, I don't know, like dirty rom-com, R-rated rom-com that I, I like, you know, like I like Nicholas Stoller's other stuff and, um, neighbors and, and things like that. So I, like, I was interested in seeing it, but I wasn't like expecting anything particularly like, I don't know, like I wasn't expecting anything that was like really going to like hit me in the feels necessarily, but I ended up like really enjoying bros, both from the perspective of it being like really funny and there being some like kind of absurd and new sort of comedy set pieces that I hadn't seen in other movies, as well as just like it does a really good job, I think, of of sort of mixing the like drama components of like it being sort of a romantic dramedy. So like a lot of the stuff as it pertains to um you know, like sexuality and gender identity and, and things like that is actually like really well handled and integrated into the plot in a way that feels really sincere and feels like this isn't just a movie where like Billy Eichner said, look, I'm going to make a gay romantic comedy. It's more like he has something like sincerely interesting and I think impactful to say about what it is like for him as like a creative gay man who also is sort of acknowledging the fact that he's like a cis white gay dude in a, in a, in a rapidly evolving kind of LGBTQ plus like community, right. Where like transgender and like other things like that, people that have like, you know, of different races and things that have more going on that they've had to kind of overcome than just him as like, like a white gay man, but also acknowledging that being a white gay man was no picnic for him either. Like it, it sort of plays on a lot of that in a way that I think is really interesting and also like entangled with the main character's sort of journey. So it's not like he's just out of nowhere sort of making points about LGBTQ plus culture or anything. He it's, it really is integrated in a way where something is happening with the character that says something interesting about that or reflects that experience in a, in a unique way. And by the end of it, like I, I really thought I was going to end up giving this movie like a three out of five or something because I enjoyed it and it was funny. But I found myself over the course of the next like day and a half when I was getting ready to write the review, just thinking about thinking about it and also having like interactions with friend of, friends of mine or talking to friends of mine about it that are 
that are like bisexual or, you know, or of other kind of like, of other sort of like identities within that community. And, uh, and how much it kind of like meant to them. And also just like the things that they were bringing up really like resonated with my experience of watching the movie. And I ended up like ended up giving this, you guys are going to laugh because I know I have like a, uh, like reputation for this, but I'm giving it like four. a four out of five. Yeah. yeah. I really, I, th- and I kind of stand by that. Like, and it, it's been sort of really sad. I mean, sometimes like I'm off base with the, you know, when I give a movie a four out of five, Sometimes, um, yeah. but sometimes <laughs> I think I am aligned. And in this particular case, you know, I mean, this movie has like, a very, very high Rotten Tomatoes score. Like a lot of other critics, I think, saw what I saw in it and saw that Billy Eichner was like working on a level that I think a lot of us who just sort of know him from like Billy on the street or being the loud, you know, the loud shouting guy on on Parks and Rec, like might not have realized like he had this movie in him. And, uh, and so I appreciated that a lot, but I'm so sad. It's like, it only made like $5 million opening. Week. Yeah. I mean, no one is going to see it. It's totally bombed. It makes sense that it bombed from the standpoint of like, Billy Eichner is not like a leading man, um, you know, in, in the sense that he's not at a time when like theaters are still recovering from COVID and people are like much more selective about when they go out to the theater. In a lot of ways, this probably was a movie that, you know, would have gotten a lot more attention if it had just gone straight to streaming. But I really wish more people had just seen it in a theater because well, it's a great movie. I, I mean, I think I can tell you from just this is a funny thing because I've been reading up on the movie and like seeing, you know, kind of the discussion surrounding it. I haven't seen it myself, but I was, you know, I live down here in the heartland and I can tell you that I think it's just one of those cases that I think uh, some of the marketing might have heard it. Totally. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I I think like the poster, which is just. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, it's just two men. Yeah, they're they're grabbing each other's asses. It's just, I mean, even in a hetero sense, that would be kind of gratuitous on a movie poster. Right. Um, And I think I can tell you from the reaction I saw that it it really stoked the wrong reactions and people who probably weren't going to watch it in the first place. Let's be honest. Right. But yeah, you know, I, I think it just kind of, I think it undercut in maybe even within the community itself, it may have undercut its own, you know, maturity and seriousness by some of the marketing yeah. that made it just look like a literal raunch grab ass comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's and, a very, I, I think, yeah. Good. So, I mean, I, but I don't know if just hearing you describe what this movie is dealing with, I, I'm thinking about it like, yes, that's interesting to see that kind of new wave of LGBTQ plus story. But if I also always try to think of it like, also, if I was a PR person, like, and it made, I was just like, what if I was a PR? And that's about as far as I got before my head started to swell, like it was going to explode. <laughs> so I just stopped thinking about it and thank God that it wasn't my job to market the movie. Yeah, because marketing that movie in America right now would stop. It just makes me want to start. I mean, my drink is empty, but it makes me want to drink another one. Like, yeah, that's well, that's a challenge totally, right there. So, yeah, it's um, totally yeah. an accurate read, I think, on it. Because I mean, you know, and I think Eichner would probably say that you know the gratuity of the marketing is like probably like kind of part of the point like he should you know why shouldn't you be able to put a movie poster out like that and have people show up to it right it's like maybe there is an argument to be made that even like 
you know, a hetero movie poster like that would, would be gratuitous, but it's like, I think he would sort of say, you know, that shouldn't have stopped people from seeing the movie. It should have still interested people. You know, it, it shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to tone down the gayness of the, of the film in order to attract people to the theater. But that's also a very like philosophical, like that's all true, but that doesn't, that's not the world we live in necessarily. Oh, I, I don't think, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just be clear because, you know, I do represent corporate entities. I'm not saying tone down the gayness. No, I'm no, saying, no, no. That I know. I'm it, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm saying that it's, it's the, there is something to be said about marketing a movie, like romantic comedies that even are raunchy. Like you don't have American pie. You don't have the kid like with his dick in the pie on the movie, like, (laughs) like from the, from a horizontal with the shaft in the pie. Like you don't, (laughs) you know what I mean? You do something funny. You do have something funny, like even going as far as having Jason Biggs, just, on a poster seemingly nude, but just like with a pie covering, you know, right, his crotch, sure. like you, you can get away with that. You know what I mean? You this know, is, there's, there's always a way. Cause you're always, you're always thinking about that little, little tiny town in middle of America and like, what's not going to scare them too much. Right. Yeah, if you're thinking sure. all quadrants. So, I mean, uh, the question is like, where were you marketing this movie? Like, what were you trying to do? in New York and LA and Miami and places like that. Like, yeah, I mean, for your, for the community specific, then like, yeah, it is kind of a weird question of why it didn't make more. Was it just not marketing push through? Did they, did people, I wasn't aware that this was coming out like all that much. I was because I'm in a film community and that's why, and, and I wasn't aware of it so much as the trailers and the movie as I was about, the discussion surrounding it and like what it's about. And, and to be honest, people's reaction to it after it already opened. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and yeah, but no, I agree. I don't think you should have to change anything. I think there should be launch comedies of all kinds and for all kinds of demographics. I love, uh, you know, I love, I'm all about it because Hey man, it's film. Why not? I mean, the idea that only one kind of person can tell a great story on film is maybe why shit got so boring for a while. And I'm loving this new age of, especially TV now, like you got to pay attention, but you just, you go through TV and you're seeing like from the actors we're seeing, like it's subtle. You don't necessarily notice it. And TV is good about this, but the actors we're seeing to the, the amount of times now you're seeing episode directors at the credits at the end that are just like females, people of color and like things like that. And just recognizing all of that's going on and you know, it works for TV. It's like, Holy shit. I love that episode. Oh man. That lady really directed the fuck out of that Dahmer episode. Like, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's good stuff. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm all about it, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, hopefully this does get like maybe some play on streaming. So yeah, I hope we'll see. It's yeah, it'll get some awards love too uh, on, on the circuits that cover comedy and stuff like that. It's already been touted by a couple outlets as like the comedy of the year, and it, you know we're late in the year, so that's that's valid. And Rolling Stone added it to their best best comedies of the 21st century so far. So it's it's getting like proper acclaim, which is nice. So that word of mouth will carry through, through when it does hit yeah. home video, right? Which is awesome. But I do think the marketing point's valid because this same thing happened with Zach and Miri. Remember they toned down the posters and they had yeah. like the joking, and then that movie. 
at the time, this was Seth Rogen was prime time in film, and you had Kevin Smith, and it got pretty good reviews too. Uh, and it might be one of his better films, and it, it absolutely failed at the box office. It it got half of its projections, right? And so, yeah, I think there's something to be said about, about that. Just the poster alone. But in terms of marketing, I think it's twofold. One, it's a shame that the conversation online has turned into what it is now, where it's like, why did it fail? Is it because straight people didn't show up? Is it because of the marketing? And then also the marketing online anyways, which is our world, was very focused on like the Twitter community, but a specific segment of it. And that's like, you shouldn't appeal to the Twitter crowd because Twitter crowd doesn't mean shit, right? In the grand scheme of things, they are not, the vocal minority does not represent box office receipts. It never has, right? So- and then you're also trying to overcome, like you said, Ben, the Billy on the street persona. Like in, and Billy on the street, when he's coupled with a celebrity, it, it's funny for two minutes. Because you, but if you, at a glance, if you don't know him, and you only know him from his Parks and Rec, as you mentioned, or the Billy on the street, you you think, oh, this actor for two hours, doing the yelling shit, there's no way. But it's like they fail to market across. No, this is so much more than that. There actually is heart here in a real valid like romantic comedy, and he's got so much more talent than that. He can play a character like this. They didn't show that well online, which is a shame. Instead, they went through like he even did a billion the street marketing campaign for this movie. Yeah, and I feel like that's the wrong message to send. Um, Also, he was very vocal about like who should and should not see this movie online, which is like you know PR one on one. Just avoid that. Like you're making a great movie, talk about a great movie, and they did the basic junket circuit, and we had like. Him and I think Nick Stoller helped write it. Like they did, we did great interviews with them, and they really got that message across to us. But like from mainstream marketing, rom coms are tough sells in today's era, yeah. and, and any kind of rom com, well, especially to get people to a theater to. That's to it. See it's it, very yeah, tough, sure. especially in a lull. Like we're talking, like even with Top Gun coming out, we're like hitting like lowest level box office failure level milestones right so it's yeah. tough but i do think this is a you know given the quality of it, it it might be a perfect type of streaming release and hopefully it gets a like a big push there um and i, I guarantee you end of years will be come up and like is it the golden globes who do comedy and drama and all that kind of stuff or whoever yeah. like yeah. It, it'll get some nods there i'm sure um and and uh at the very least it showcases what he can do outside of the persona that he's typecast as right so yeah um and that alone will get him selling points whether he does more films or tv work which is awesome so behind the camera all this all this reminds me of the time when uh i tried to post the uh trailer for uh that jim carrey and ewan mcgregor film i love you philip morris and vic took it down (laughs) 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 so that was like dude the funniest thing the funniest thing about that too was then that was back when it was just you and me doing the the movie reviews right it was like vic maybe had just handed it off to us but I remember you signed me in for like a screening of like, I, I love you, Philip Morris. And I went to the New York screening room, saw the movie, liked it and was like all about to start writing up the review. And Vic was like, what? Wait, wait what now? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, second, he was like, you're not reviewing that. I was like, okay. All right. Well, I mean, I guess you on the site, but uh, yeah, yeah, no. I just remember the day I put up the trailer, and it was like a red band trailer. So there was like there were scenes of like Jim Carrey, like because Jim Carrey's character in the movie is like very. He's like, I mean, I don't know if he's a call it a sex addict or very promiscuous, but he like he bangs a lot of other guys, and so like there's a lot of scenes of him like not like even like hardcore but just like 
of him having like gratuitous yeah. sex in the movie. And yeah, doesn't he? And he calls think, out to Jesus or something in one of them. Yes, yes. In Vic, in Vic. Oh, I bet he loved that. <laughs> uh, oh, I just remember his his reaction was so visceral. He was just like, yeah. "Oh hell no!" And like and yeah. he was just like, "We're not posting it." And it was like one of the only times he made me like take down a post because I just put it up because you know. Yeah, it's movie news. Why not? Yeah. It's a movie news. Yeah, and it was yeah. two big stars, and it was like, yeah, I'm putting it up. Um, but yeah, he was one of the only time he's he ever overrid me and like pulled it down. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah. That review was similar. It was like so we're, you know, we're trying mean, to say we're trying to say is Billy Eichner. We've been trying, but I'm sorry. Like you know, <laughs> it's a hard fight, man. I mean, yeah, it's a hard fight, but we're trying to be allies out here. We try. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, uh, we won that battle in the end, like many years ago. But still, like. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of, and all three of us dealt with this. We fought this battle on the PR front behind the scenes too. When yeah. this oh, person man. who I will not name was like sending out some it, very along these lines in oh, emails that I almost oh, quit man. over. Yeah, I know we had to. Yeah, that got uh, that got pretty drastic. So, Billy, I can't. Sorry, we're out here. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man, yeah, that was funny. That, that just, this send whole Vic conversation <laughs> Send Vic my bros review. <laughs> it only took uh, it only took it's fifteen years, but we got a gay comedy on a uh, reviewed on yep. screen. But can't stop us uh, now. Man, that's funny. <laughs> uh, Damn. Yeah, that's getting real out here. I love it. We yeah. on the move. Yeah, no, that was just this whole conversation just remind. I haven't thought about that in years, but this whole conversation just reminded me of that because I that movie. Know. It reminded me because sadly that movie also struggled very, very hard. Even yeah. it was uh, well done. I saw it. I saw it eventually, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was a great. Good. It was that was a it was a good movie for sure. You and McGregor was Jim Carrey. Yeah, and you and McGregor, Leslie Mann, Rodrigo Santoro was in that. There was a lot of people in that. Yeah. There's a lot of people in that movie. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It only made like $20 million yeah. worldwide. Yeah. No, it, it, it was, it was one that got buried. So yeah, but that's crazy. But uh, I don't know. But uh, now I went now and you make me feel guilty. I have to go out and see like bros. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you guys would like it. I honestly, there's a scene I mentioned in the review, but there's a scene the kind of Look, just like Billy Eichner. I can't listen. I'm just gonna be honest. Billy Eichner, it's not your movie. I just going to theaters is really hard to these days. It is really <laughs> hard to do. It is yeah, so incredibly hard. There's a uh, there's a scene in the middle of it though that just like kind of I mean in some ways like took my breath away because it's this very like stripped down monologue that he has where he just like it's hard not to feel like it's, you know, it's Billy Eichner making a statement about what it was like for him as a creative in Hollywood and the ways that he was typecast and the way that he was like pushed out of potential roles and things that he was in. I mean, I'm, I'm reading into that. Maybe that's not no, the you're case. Right, though. It's supposed to be very meta. It's it's hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean it, this like, and that scene kind of comes out of nowhere. It's sort of in the middle of this, like, kind of almost like a montage of, you know, of them enjoying themselves um, kind of in a, in a weekend away. And then it's just like the movie sort of like shuts down for a second for this, like really, really sort of like introspective monologue. And the way they come out of the monologue is so it's just like, it's pitch perfect. Um, And I won't say what it is, but it's like, it's like, it's, uh, it's just great writing and it's, it's like really subtle and really, really smart and, 
like perfect for the two characters and the journey they're on. It's like, it really, when I thought back on moments like that, I was like, okay, this thing is operating at a much, you know, much greater level than maybe like I was, I was reacting to when I was seeing it in the theater and stuff. Cause those things really stuck with me. You're also opened against smile. It's not good to step up against paramount. It's dangerous. Paramount in their horror movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we over here, we over here, we're beasts. But um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Smile has just marketed the hell out of itself. So, dude, my, Smile like they were talking about Smile at Rise at Seven because like the viral marketing campaign of them having people just standing in stadiums with creepy smiles, yes, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So smart, like really, really good marketing yeah. for sure. Yeah, man. So yeah, it was. I mean, that's a hard thing too. So, yeah. Billy Eichner hanging hang there, keep making good movies. You'll be all right. Like, yeah, for sure. Good. Yeah, the takeaway from it was like I actually want to see him make more movies, which I think is yeah. you know one of the best things you can you can. Watch yeah, and the studios will see that too, hundred percent, which is great. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, Kobe, I know you got a road trip you got to hit, um, so we'll uh, we'll save me talking about the fact that I started uh, Rick and Morty for another time. But I do actually oh, want yeah, to talk Rick and Morty with you guys at some point. Oh, it's a great fucking show. Yeah, we'll talk about that next time. You yeah. for ketchup. Like, I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, wait, I just, let me just ask you. Because I tried to get some people into Rick and Morty. And people got me finally because they picked select episodes. And I had somebody smart pick, like, at two episodes and make me yeah. watch them. And they gave me a mythology episode. And they gave, like, a higher mythology episode. And they gave me um, a... a, a self-contained episode this is when episode uh, seasons one and two were out it was right right when season three had dropped that surprise episode and the one they gave me to watch was uh the one with the parasites oh the, right uh, yeah the, the mind that was the first one they got me to watch yeah. where it's, it's like the, all episode. the different characters keep showing up and like acting yeah they've been exactly yeah, oh, yeah and, then, and then and then the second one <laughs> was um the citadel of ricks the first one or the citadel of right. ricks and in yeah. episode 10 in the first season i try to get my best friend to watch it and and i gave him like just i gave it to him like the first season as a gift and i just let him watch it and he made it all the way to episode nine which is the cronenberg episode in the ending of that episode, what was your reaction when you got to the end of that episode? Which <laughs> like, I think can you not remember? No, Do you I want me to refresh? Which, okay. Yeah, refresh my memory. So that's the like, episode I, I where Morty Morty wants to fall in love with a girl and with Jessica, the girl he loves, and he wants Rick to make him a potion, and he kind of goes Rick's ego into saying you can't do it, oh, so Rick right. does. And he says he gives it to him and, he, and then he leaves and he forgets to tell him that the only catch is you can't give it to somebody who's like sick. Right. And it turns yeah, out the flu's going around. Yeah. And so they Cronenberg the whole world. They all become these fucked up mutants. Right. And so at the end of the episode, it's all about Rick's ego and he can't let go and he can't accept that he messed up and he keeps trying to fix it and he keeps making it worse until the whole earth is just fucked up and Cronenberg. And so he just runs away and he takes them to a new universe. I remember that where yeah, they okay. die. Yeah. And it's just a montage of them burying their own bodies and yes, just slipping in yeah. and Morty sitting on the couch, fucking traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> <As he laughs> said it, trying to pretend that this new family is like his. And that's the end yeah. of the episode. And I that's where it, my best friend tapped out. He was like, I can't do this. I, do it. <laughs> I yeah. think uh, I, 
like I um it's funny because I just watched an episode that referenced that where the you know, like where they're sort of talking about well there's these infinite, you know, like Rick doesn't give a shit about you know, about Morty or anybody because there's infinite Mortys. He can always go get another Morty. And then like, I think Morty makes a comment about how like, you know, Summer's not even his real sister or something because, you know, of that. I, yeah, I mean, I, um, I didn't, I didn't tap out obviously, like I obviously kept going, but, um, I think if anything that kind of made me, I think that's almost where the show like locks into place for me a bit was, I was kind of like, okay, you know, it's going to, I love time travel stuff. I love alternate universe stuff. So like if they're going to be playing with this idea and they're going to be playing with it so loose and fast that basically like all the characters that we've come to know up until this point are basically, you know, dead or monsters and they're going to go to this other universe. And we're just, you know, basically like, I'm just supposed to accept that. And there's like sort of gag where Morty will, you know, be looking horrified for like 30 seconds. And then I just go to the next episode and it's kind of like, everything's fine. And I get to go on another crazy zany adventure I think that's when I kind of just, if anything, it was around that time where I just sort of locked in and I was like, okay, I get what this is now. And I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to like overthink it, but I like my understanding is like, as it goes on, it gets more serialized and stuff. Like I'm at the, I'm at the beginning sort of season, of. I'm at the beginning of season three and there's like the divorce subplot and stuff that's yeah. like in there now. And, uh, oh, yeah. You saw me. The most serialized thing that happened was like the season three premiere was where it kind of like really starts to pull together. Cause that yeah. was like, I think one of the first times the show like really openly continues a story from yeah. like previous episode or even season. But um, yeah, I mean, just keep watching. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it is some pretty nuts fun stuff. Season three is a, that's where I started watching it live like week to week. Yeah. And so it's always special to me, but season three was where I feel like the show really locked into itself and like really yeah. got good. And like every <laughs> episode of that one was like a hit. Pretty the last much. episode that I just watched was the pickle Rick episode. Oh, which oh was, yeah. Which yes. is, I know yeah. it's like, I'd known from like seeing posters of that and stuff, you know, that that was like a fan favorite and everything. But, but yeah, I, you know, you know what it honestly was that made it hard for me to get into it for a little bit was just like in the first season, it's like every other like word out of Rick's mouth is like a belch. Yeah, and like, I found, weird. I found that so off putting and like, I'm not like, you know, I know we joke about me being a prude and stuff, but like, it's like, I can, I can, you know, hang with something like that, but it was actually like distracting to me. And it, I think it was to a lot of people cause it clearly dialed it back. Like he still does it. But in that first season, I mean, it's like, it's every 10 seconds he's like belching and, and kind of interrupting yeah. conversations. They, they really leaned into the, because the whole show's premise was like, you know, a fucked up version of back to the future. Right. Right. If doc right. Brown yeah. was like a drunk, know, completely yeah. nihilistic yeah. drunk and like, yeah. So they did the alcoholism thing, which over time as the show has gotten more mature and like, because it's had to grow up on its own mythos is, they've actually kind of referenced just they've turned it into a subtle kind of commentary about like where Rick was and where kind of Rick goes over the course of the series and stuff like that. So it is kind of funny now when you go back and watch this, but like, yeah, the pilot's nuts. Like in the pilot, he's just fucking slammed and like falling all over the place. (laughs) Like the whole time he's like, Hey Morty. Like it's a completely different character. It's so funny. Yeah, you're totally right. But I mean, yeah, that's just like that when you watch the first season of The Simpsons when they were just trying to yeah. find the show. It's just like, wow. Yeah. 
it, it's funny. funny looking back now and having rewatched it a lot because this is like an immensely rewatchable show. Um, oh, I'm sure yeah. it. Uh, it makes sense why that is. And you learn a lot about that later. And everything you said about the Mortys and families and multiverse, like they, they really do a lot of exploration of that. While yeah. also throwing in hilarious, like, he, you like this, Ben, there's even a Voltron, like, <laughs> like episodes. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff awesome. coming. Like, yeah. It's pretty special. There's, there's, awesome. Yeah. There's some pretty funny standalones and yeah, there's some pretty kind of like, and there's some pretty, and Rick and Morty can actually have some really serious episodes that make you feel fucking bad too. Like there yeah, are some yeah. real dark episodes to the series. So yeah, I think you're coming up sure. on some of those. Yeah. I mean, like, it feels there, like it's, wait, it's, it's certainly taking a unity episode is a unity episode yes. in the first two seasons. Oh yeah. So yeah, the unity episode up. is like, I think midway through the second season or something, but yeah, where, yeah, where it's like, Oh, yeah, and raising Gazorpa Zorp is the other one. I won't watch raising Gazorpa Zorp. I can't watch that one a lot. <laughs> I think, uh, so I, think I saw that one too. Yeah, yeah, that's the one Morty has like the song with a robot with the like sex yes, robot. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, all about like parenting because it's all about him like learning how fucked up parenting is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You, you'll notice later on in more recent seasons too. There's a lot of like like not only is it serialized, but they like there's a lot of like looking at the breaking the fourth wall like, meta commentary on how they're doing oh, that and yeah, referencing just for the sake of referencing. So they're playing a little fast and loose with the format a little bit, but they're getting pretty creative with the lore, you know, as they go. Yeah, that's forward. awesome. I mean, that's what I want to see, like, you know, being like a big Doctor Who, like Back to the Future type guy. Like, I just want to go on an adventure oh. every episode, you know, and if it's a fucked oh up God, adventure, yeah. that's fine. Like, but, Dude, yeah, it gets crazy like by now because, yeah, they are. Because they got, um, oh, I can't, Scott, what's his name? Scott, man, I can't remember his name, but he's a guy, Scott Mance. He was like the guy who did It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and really helped that show locked in place. And mm. now he's working on Rick and Morty. And so he kind of came on and basically that's what he does. That dude just comes in and takes shows that are good, but still kind of finding themselves and just is like, all right, here's what works. Here's what's great. Like, let's just fucking clean this shit up and like do this. And like that's kind of what's happening now in about season six and two. There is like an actual kind of overarching lore. There's like a villain starting to come into play, like and it just but that's it's still kind of like fun and fucked up <laughs> like sci-fi episodes too. <laughs> yeah. Like which one? Oh God. Oh man, you're up on like so you've watched season six, Rob? I've seen the first two episodes of season six only. Oh okay. So yeah, okay. So season one. I mean the first one was pretty crazy but um yeah season two was the yeah okay the video game the roy one yeah oh man no okay so you guys are both yeah when you get into season the stuff they've done just as a concepts episodes this season are just so like uh there's some pretty wild shit they do uh yeah there's one that they do with uh that like is basically it's what Loki wanted to do, but Disney can't do. So they just do <laughs> yeah. like that. Like it gets like pretty, it gets pretty wild. Um, cool. Yeah. There's, they do some pretty funky stuff this well, season. You were talking about, uh, sorry. And then I'll, I'll let you go, Rob, but you were talking about <laughs> Scott Martyr. That's it. Scott, um, Scott Martyr. Yeah. Scott Mance is one Scott of Mance. our, yeah. We film critics. We know. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So yeah. Scott Martyr, uh, Scott, Scott Mance. Yeah. Movie Mance. How could I mess that yeah. up? Uh, shout out to Scott Mance. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Scott Martyr. Yeah, that's what he does. Thank you. 
Um, so yeah, he's kind of tight and ended up, but, um, yeah, they've also done some pretty wild concept episodes. There's some pretty freaky ones, some pretty nuts ones they've done this season. <laughs> so it's really meet- hitting a stride. I was going to say, sorry, go when do we, yeah, I was going to say, when do we meet the retaliators? Cause they're getting a spinoff show. Um, uh, um, uh, the, no, the, um, not the retaliate. What is it? Oh God. They're, they're like Avengers. No, he, yeah, he's coming up on the vindicators. No, they already have it out. They have a series of shorts out on a YouTube playlist. It's on adult swims, YouTube playlist. There is a vindicators. There's a whole kind of season of shorts of them and they're pretty oh, messed up. Okay. Yeah. And I interviewed the creator of the series at comic-con Sarah Carbiner. Um, and she said, and she's, I mean, she's pretty wild too. And she worked on Rick and Morty for many years, but, uh, yeah, it's just like a 10 episode run of the vindicators and them doing like some crazy stuff. There's one like Krakubot takes his whole trip just so he can go somewhere private and dance. And like, yeah, and it's just like, just like that. And it's just, what a pitch. yeah, but it's just like, it's just stuff like that. But like the whole episode is just like, and they're only like, I mean, a minute or two. So it's just like you watching him go on this like absurd journey. And it's just like him doing this interpretive dance. It's just like, yeah. And it's just funny things. Cause it's leading up to, it connects back. I won't say how to the Rick and Morty episode, I um, see. but there's some pretty like, pretty messed up dark stuff humor stuff about like what's wrong with this avengers team and like all the shit between them and like <laughs> i'm gonna yeah, watch that like funny. tomorrow uh, yeah it's good it's like a good hour of your time i couldn't i laughed for i've laughed a lot about it like it looks like uh, they debut in the season that i'm on right now so it looks like it's season three episode four oh, i think i just three, watched yeah yeah, yeah you're coming up on that episode three. it's yeah. one of the better ones yeah you'll see yeah, like vindicators yeah funny. is is really good you should watch the shorts right after that it's pretty funny other thing if you guys haven't seen it is uh you know same team does solar opposites on hulu um oh yeah dude solar opposites is so good yeah um deserves a lot more credit (laughs) it, it does because it's a funny show with the aliens but the fact that they're actually running two shows in that show is know, is fucking amazing. It's just two shows at once that you're actually seeing. And the scene, the show within the show about their little <laughs> terrarium is the so wall. fucking yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. It is such a good fucking storyline. It is one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen. It's just so yeah. fucking funny. Um, which... Yeah, so Solar Opposites about a group of aliens that like came to Earth and like as part of like a program, but they really kind of just liked it on Earth and they've just been hanging out and they've been kind of, they've been kind of uh, not Americanized, but like yes, Americanized because they are in America to like they're a funny kind of crew of these aliens, but they keep this terrarium of they shrink down people like their baby shrinks down people and they keep them in this terrarium. <laughs> and they form this apocalyptic society Lord like the story. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Flies <laughs> inside this terrarium of shrunk down people. So there's this whole so you see like things in the terrarium during the show. Um oh, when funny. it's about the aliens, but some episodes flip perspectives and you're inside the terrarium and you just see the aliens <laughs> kind of like fucking around in the background at different shots while these people That's inside awesome. are like playing a whole it's like a whole Game of Thrones show in there. 
or like scheming <laughs> the controller so the terrarium is fucking nuts it goes That's so amazing. crazy in there yeah, yeah. And it's slowly kind of like, yeah, and it, but it's just Justin Roiling and it's slowly kind of arcing towards the main series because they're like trying to get out of this terrarium and like get these fucking aliens. And so like, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's, but both sides of the show are funny because it's all about like American life and stuff like and it's a funny premise. Like, what if you were an alien and you like came to American things and they're not ignorant. They're like very savvy, but it's just about them trying to interpret like our life and yeah. the way we do things and figure shit out, you know, and it's that's, a funny thing. Yeah. That's cool. That like, uh, that sort of setup of like, they're doing things in the background reminds me of one of the things I love so much about Arrested Development, which was like how it would always like set things up in the background before. Yeah. You know, like blue handprints on the wall and you'd be like what the fuck is going and then you know you'd get the blue himself episode or whatever but um yeah it sounds like my jam too it's funny because like i just you know this goes all the way back to like when we were all like working together like i just never had an interest in like a lot of adult animated cartoons like i was never a big simpsons watcher i was never like i've watched the simpsons and i would watch for a couple seasons but then i kind of fall off and like so getting into things like rick and morty for me is always like a little bit I think harder um, just because for whatever reason, I just, I just don't have it in my lexicon kind of, but, but like that solar opposite show sounds like amazing as well. Like, so I'm going to have to check these. I'm going to have to check that out. Honestly, dude, I think in the last like decade or at least the latter half of the last decade, I think adult animation is some of the best TV you're getting. Cause you can look at yeah. Archer, obviously, which yeah. is an FX. Yeah. I, an FX does I was about to say, I'm still uh, watching that now. Yeah. Big mouth, final space, even Star Trek lower decks is like the adult raunchy yeah. version of Star Trek. It's all like awesome, high quality, well-written thought out content. And so, uh, what's just better. It's amazing. Yeah. It's also just replaced the sitcom. Like sitcoms became so formulaic and stupid yeah. to watch. Yeah. And like, it's so hollow. Like, I mean, like we're too cynical to be watching sitcoms unless they're really smart sitcoms these days. And you know, the office format obviously still works for things like Abbott elementary, which season two is also on. And I've been watching In fact, I'm about to go fire up another episode of that. If it's on right now after this. Um, and yeah, that beyond that though, adult animation is where you can get the closest thing to watch to what that, uh, classic sitcom format was yeah. because I mean, things like Rick and Morty and solar opposites, even for all their zany outrageous shit that they can do, like is a sitcom. Like, you know, next week, like you yeah. said, it's like back on another adventure, the next episode, even though you just saw them blow up <laughs> their entire universe <laughs> and kill their alternate yeah. self and, and replace their alternate selves. And the next episode starts with their new family and it's like, fuck it. And, yeah. um, so like, yeah, I mean, and we all just grew up. It's just a generation. I mean, again, these are just the natural evolutions of things. We're a generation who grew up. I mean, God, the eighties seems so long ago. My God, but like the eighties, yeah. Late eighties with the Simpsons being revolutionary and like the one of a kind. And then we got like Simpsons, your Futuramas, your family guys, your South parks. And we grew yeah. up with all that. And oh, yeah, then, yeah. yeah, by now, like, it's just like, yeah, you're competing. You have adult. When we say adult animation, you're talking about shit that has to compete with HBO level stuff. And yeah, totally. so you have like your Rick and Morty's and adult swim has carved out that weird 
that weird loophole brown paper bag bullshit where they're like on a cartoon <laughs> network, but at night it becomes hardcore. Like, you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I get it. And, and I get why there's a, like an always going to be an audience who's receptive to that. Cause we've just been kind of ingrained with it as yeah. our entertainment experience. It's kind of wild. Oh. Uh, Bojack Horseman was pretty good on Netflix too. There's, there's tons of these things. Oh yeah, there's even new ones. Apple yeah. has one too, or Central Park, or whatever it's called. I forget. I haven't seen it. But dude, we uh, all were told telling ourselves that Ren and Stimpy was some shit we should be watching as kids back in the nineties. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> it's it. totally yeah. true. I remember. Yeah, I did. I watched a lot of Ren and Stimpy back in Nickelodeon days for sure. Um, <laughs> like, oh, another. This is a weird recommendation, but thinking of adult like animation, if you haven't seen it. It's not on now, but like Mike Tyson Mysteries was awesome. Oh yeah, Mike it's like Tyson. Really Mysteries great spin on Scooby Doo. It's fucking Rick Mercer voice is one of the characters. It's awesome. So I didn't ever wanted to watch that until I watched the Mike Tyson Hulu series. Like and now I want to go back and watch that. So which is also amazing with Travante Rhodes is amazing as Mike Tyson in that series. Yeah. Did I say Rick Mercer? Norm McDonald's what I'm trying to say. I'm and it's Craig Gillespie. Baby. Uh, yeah. Craig Gillespie, I Tanya, Lars, and a real girl. Like, I mean, he just nails that, like, twisted yeah. Americana stuff so well. So now I'm going to definitely watch the Mike Tyson mysteries. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. hilarious. They're also very short, like 10 minute episodes or something. But yeah. anyway. Yep. Oh, well, yeah. I didn't mean to drag us everybody uh, into this tonight, but I, yeah, I'm glad we did. It was an interesting conversation. So this was um, Ben's undercover way of just discussing bros and Rick and Morty. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just want to talk to someone about Rick and Morty. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Podcast X. We wish our special guest, Kofi Aula, a safe trip through through the Appalachian Mountains. Wait, wait, um, before we get out, I, I have to know is anybody watching like Rings of Power? Yes. Oh, I'm watching I'm Rings of Power. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, well, before we get out of here, okay. So, like, <laughs> Because we all like, you know, we all had to live through the Hobbit days together. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but we all used to talk and argue about Lord of the Rings a lot. So what did you think about this episode, the battle episode? Like, dude, I mean, do you think it's pulling together? Are you guys in yeah, or are you it, guys? It, uh, you know what, dude? I, I really take back. Again, I remember when we first talked about this, I was basing my initial opinions on the screeners and the visuals. And, yeah. and I have this big thing now where screeners are the worst way to present media with anything uh, for, for content. Sure. But um, yeah, I'm actually, a lot of people are complaining about the pacing of it and yeah, it's slower, but I'm okay with the world building because they have the ability to pre-plan five years of content and they can play with fan expectations on setting up things like this episode sets up with the beginnings of Mount Doom and Mordor. And like, that was such a cool thing. And the way they paid off these weird things, like what are the orcs tunneling? Is that just to hide from the sun? No, it's the move fucking water. Like it was, it was so well done. Um, and the mystery of who was Sauron week to week, it's, it's working for me. And to be honest, this episode and how it was shot, the battle for the scale they're going for was, was so good. It, I actually enjoyed it this week more than I watched more than I enjoyed uh, house of the dragon. Um, yeah. and I, I really, I'm loving that show too, but like, I think, I hope people give this show the time it deserves because Rings of Power, I think it is doing something special. So um, I'm curious if you guys agree with that now. But yeah, yeah, I've been uh, I've been enjoying it. I kind of want to do like a have one of our podcasts be sort of a maybe it's for the finales of these seasons because I think they finale around the same time, right? Um, it might even be the same week. Uh, I can't remember, but um, I kind of want to do like a conversation about like what's working you know because i think 
I think Rings of Power does some things better than House of the Dragon. In general, I think I'm enjoying House of the Dragon more, and I think it's a more succinct and just like uniform experience. But I really look forward to Rings of Power, even though it's in some, I think some of the storylines are kind of a mess, and I'm not totally sure that I'm on board with like what they're doing with some of the characters. Like if some of it feels a little bit amateurish and I know these guys are relatively new showrunners, if I remember correctly. So like, you know, I I get some of this is like rookie mistake stuff, but there's, you know, there are things that like logistically I can kind of think my way out of where I'm like, why in, why would any character do that thing that that character just did? But, but I, yeah, I mean, I thought the battle episode was cool. I thought it was, uh, you know, it was exciting seeing like kind of the back and forth of that where you sort of think, you know, maybe they're going to pull it off. And then, you know, I sort of the tug of war between the two factions, I guess, and how all that ends up ends up kind of playing out. I did, however, see that um, sort of final twist of like them getting someone getting away with that key uh, coming. Like I, I knew that that was like a fake out and watching them all just like hand that thing back and forth without anybody checking to see if it was the actual thing, just like pissed me off though. Um, um, but did you think they were going to twist it right away and turn it on? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect that. No, I didn't expect yeah. that. I no, didn't expect it to be like, yeah. yeah, I definitely thought they were going to have to go get it, you know, and that was going to be the rest of the arc. Yeah, of the no. season. I didn't yeah, no, no. fuck everything up, but that was dope. But Sauron, you can't stop Sauron. He's too crafty. Come on. Yeah. We all knew like he's too crafty, baby. <laughs> Um, we okay, that eye <laughs> eventually sees everything. Yeah. Okay, do you think that Sauron will be revealed by the end of this season? Like who Sauron is, if it is a character that we already know. I think it will be. Okay. Or who I think, think it I is think is it, I don't. Is it Albrand? I don't, no, I, I think that <laughs> it will be either Sauron will be revealed or Sauron will possess somebody. Okay. That we know. Okay. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, everybody's saying Meteor Man and stuff. Wait, wait. Like, Halbrand is the Halbrand? king, the king that yeah, was promised or whatever. And then the Common Man. Meteor Man I'm gonna, is the other. And oh, see, here's what I'm wondering. And I've been wondering, and don't kill me because I don't know Tolkien lore, guys. I don't read all the compendiums. I never even read the books. Same. I don't want to. I, I'm never going to. I, I liked. <laughs> like, I liked watching. I got okay, into this all because it? I don't want to. Ralph Bakshi and his crazy dope smoking ass got me into the Hobbit when I was a little kid, and after seeing that whole Gollum sequence and all that, I got into it. So I was so happy when they made the movie, so I could finally experience it, and that's where we are. Then I was less happy when I had to nearly puke my brains out watching that high frame rate Hobbit stuff. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh God. I still remember that going into the U- to WB screening room for that. I almost puked yeah, right was, outside the door. I was like, please. Yeah, I saw that in Seattle. Don't do that to me. Worst experiences. Yeah. Please don't do that to me ever again. Um, but um, I've been wondering if, and again, I could be dead in the water. Please don't kill me because I don't know. I'm just talking as a TV viewer. If Isildur's father Oh, end up being like, if not so, like the Sauron, pos- you know, avatar possessed um, person. And if they try to connect it to why Isildur was the one who eventually 
wanted who cut the ring from his finger yeah and kind of it was personal for him and stuff yeah 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 man the Isildur when you guys are when we were talking about like what's working on the show I fucking hate Isildur though like I cannot stand that character so yeah well yeah I mean I guess um you know, uh, you, that's the trick they're pulling. You got to understand why you understand. I mean, I think people spaz out about this, but like prequels are hard because, yeah. you, you know, life you know changes people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And life changes people. And so you always have to see the seeds of these things like at a time when these people are more idealistic about the world and about themselves. Like, I think they're doing a pretty good job because like I understand that weird scene now in Peter Jackson's movie where Galadriel like looks like she's going to like freak out when Frodo offers her the ring. And she yeah. looks like she has a like kind of scary moment because yeah. it's almost like she, you see her in the series and you begin to understand what they're framing is like, Oh yeah, she was kind of like a crazy addicted to war and like would have taken that yeah. ring and tried to use that power and probably gotten fucked up by it. And like, but she eventually shit happened that made her put down a sword and just be, you know, the lady of light, you know, that we saw. Yeah. Isildur has got to be a guy who's heroic and carry the series right now and is going to do something heroic, but has the seeds that of flaws that make him a selfish fucking asshole in the yeah. end and yeah. fuck everybody over. So like, yeah, it's a tricky balancing act from a storytelling perspective, but I'm, I'm digging it. Um, so far I, I, am getting to, I like getting to know this age and you know, what we can see happening, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's why I also like the high Republic series for the, uh, for star Wars is because it's the same deal. And I wrote one of the first pieces I wrote like ever when they announced that was, yo, this series better actually take it serious to show like how the fucking Jedi got fucked up eventually. And since, and they've been doing that. And so like, I'm like, okay, like I'm down with that. It's all about these people who are heroic, but there are always these little seeds that show you like, this is how shit starts. That'll eventually kind of lead to bad things to happen. And so, I mean, I think Rings of Power is doing a pretty good job. I think season one, like any season one has its stumbles. I think some things were kind of less effective. Like I didn't mind that Meteor Man and the Harfoots weren't in this last episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, they wouldn't fit. Like, uh, yeah, I was okay. Yeah, season them having to go, having to jump around and go, oh, and dodge shit. Like, would have just been like, yeah, no, we don't need that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, tell the story you need to tell. Like, you can bring them into the story later. You know, all these characters are going to run into each other at some point. So, like, I'm okay with them taking their time on. On some of that, but that's the biggest challenge they face, right? It's just the the mithril part, the elves kingdom, the dwarves, and their whole thing. It's you're balancing so many moving, you know, chess pieces on this massive board of Middle Earth, right? But on the Isildur thing, Ben, I see where you're coming from. It was annoying because of his actions, but I didn't mind him as a character. And I think part of it might be the supporting cast around him, his dad and the the queen, yeah, uh, you know, consort and all that stuff. Uh, It's Theo who was driving me crazy in the first couple of episodes. Oh yeah, Theo sucked in the first couple of episodes. Just being like an idiot with the sword, and of course he's under the influence and all that stuff. But I just don't like kids doing dumb shit. You know what I mean? And it's it was part of the stuff that kind of bothered me a bit about House of the Dragon this week too. But um, I can, I mean, I can see why you didn't like this show, or not that you didn't like it, but that you were not as enthusiastic about it after the first two episodes because, like. 
I didn't like Elrond and a lot of that stuff at the beginning. And now the Durin and Elrond stuff is some of my favorite. Well, like, those are the parts I kind of liked because like, I felt yeah. like those are the characters that looked most, you know, like who they were. Yeah. We can be concerned yeah. with knowing that they have history and, you know, watching the trailers and such. But uh, no, once it got like, three or four episodes in and watching it in proper, like 4K on a TV, like, um, and you kind of dealt with the pacing. Uh, it, also, the timing of this. We're dealing with so many weekly shows right now. We got Andor, She Hulk, this, that. And it's like, it's so friggin' much. So, like, I'm oh, forced dude, to like, yeah. accept it. Oh, my God. Uh, I got really sick last week trying to fucking stay up and keep watching shows every night at like 2 a.m. was just literally killing me last week. Yeah. And so it's just, I'm just kind of forced to accept the pacing of it. But um, I feel like in retrospect, once it all comes together, I think season one, despite its potential hurdles, I'm hoping it wraps up nicely. But um, it's certainly on the upswing, which is nice to see. So, yeah. Yeah, And what's the good news is, is that they're rushing season two. So that's the good news. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> hopefully they got all these like sets and stuff built too, because like they're moving you know, right to the UK. Yeah. They're leaving. That's New right. Zealand, yeah, they're coming out of New Zealand. Weird. Yeah, because well, I mean, like a lot of like Cameron is set up in New Zealand, right, for like Avatar stuff. But I, I can't imagine that that would like actually book out like all of. No, they have to be just doing mean? mostly the Avatar same two market. and three are shot in twenty seventeen. They, they're done with that. You miss you mean Avatar four? Um, I think it was just a cost thing. I have something to do with, I don't know why. I forget. It was well publicized a year ago. But everyone's pissed that they're leaving New Zealand. This That is Middle Earth, right? So, yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I think, yeah, because that, that, so. I think it was, yeah, because like Cameron recently said that Avatar has started filming, right? I think he said that at D23. So, I was assuming that's why. What, what do you mean? I was this assuming he was doing film? that in New Zealand. But, yeah, I mean, I would assume they can just do a lot of that shit in the UK and just go to New Zealand when they need to for something. I, I don't know, but I'm curious what you're saying about Avatar. Though. Is he shooting the fourth one? You mean already? Yeah, that's what. Uh, oh. That's what he said oh. at D23. Maybe I don't know. They did show stuff, yeah. so yeah. But, uh, um, I don't believe anything about Avatar till I fucking see it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Soon, it's gonna maybe. be interesting. To, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I know I should be excited for that film, but I'm not. So. Um, We'll, uh, I'm excited for Black Adam. Black Adam, let's get this money. Yeah, Black yeah. Adam needs to go kick the freaking box office back into gear too, because like That's no it. one is at the theaters these days for sure. Um, all right, well, we'll do like a little bit of a like a follow up review on this where we talk maybe some season two predictions and stuff for Rings of Power and and uh, House of the Dragon when those shows shows finish because I think there is an interesting conversation to be had that we haven't gotten to have yet about kind of comparing those and what one does better. And because they both have really unique, uh, like unique approaches to this. And I, I think there are things I really like about one and there are things I really like about the other. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun conversation to look forward to down the line. But um, in the meantime, this ended up being one of our longer ones. We thought we were going to come in here, just knock out this black Panther thing, talk about a few shows. And we ended up, uh, <laughs> Really going to we didn't even talk about Dahmer yet, but no, 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 let's move on. Let's let's wrap it up. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I'm not gonna cue. Oh, I'm man, not gonna yeah, I can't I can't revisit it. I mean, I already did that on one show. But I mean <laughs> nope. no, you um, should have that was a perfect time for you to be like, we're gonna talk about this Dahmer show and then you can leave. <laughs> just watch out for that middle lock yeah watch out for that middle deadpool um all right well yeah we'll wrap it up so um mr rob keys where can people find you on the internet 
Um, at Rob underscore keys, K-E-Y-E-S on Twitter. And you can follow me on uh, Twitch and Instagram here and there at FailCube. And you can see our work on ScreenRant, uh, Collider, and CBR. Special guest, Kofi Outlaw. What you got to plug? Oh, you can always find me on the Comic Book Nation show. Uh, we are over there talking all things geek culture from Marvel, DC, anime, TV, movies, everything horror. We get it all done. You can always catch me here on Podcast X, special guesting, doing my therapy. If you want to hear the unfiltered version of what I have to say with these guys about the industry and revisit uh, crazy memories like we did tonight, you can also follow me on Twitter at Kofi Outlaw, and you can catch my work over at Comic Book and pretty much uh, a lot of the channels we have over there because I uh, write about a lot of stuff. So catch me out there anywhere. You can also subscribe to the Comic Book Nation YouTube page where we uh, drop videos and do some other stuff. Awesome. Um, I'm Ben Kendrick. You can follow me at Ben Kendrick, B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K on Twitter, and check out what I'm doing over at Rise at 7. We got some digital PR happening over there. That'll do it for this week's episode. Um, We will talk to you all next week, assuming that Kofi makes it back from the Appalachian Mountains alive. Uh, I have my kids with me. Let's not not do that. Okay, all right. (laughs) Forget it. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. All right.